0: Hey horror fans, this is Wolfman with a little personal message for you. We recorded the bulk of this episode several weeks ago and then the rest of it just as we were beginning social distancing in the United States. We're now entering week three here in the united states and things have gotten a lot more serious since we recorded the episode especially for our friends and listeners in places like spain and italy so if you ever think we're being flip about the situation i don't think we were but at least know that there was some difference in terms of the context of when you're hearing it as opposed to when it was recorded if you don't want to hear any of the contagion discussion just go ahead and skip the first 32 to 33 minutes of the podcast and you'll just be into regular horror reviews with no other mention of it after that but we do do kind of a lengthy opening discussion about what's going on with all of us personally we hope all of you are staying safe and our hearts go out to anyone struggling during this really crazy time we know it's a rough time and a lot of people are struggling with their mental health being indoors on their own so if you need to talk get in touch and much love from your friends at HMP This is Eduardo Sanchez, and you're listening to Horror Movie
1: Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <music>
2: to horror movie podcast where we are dead serious about horror movies this is episode 192 of horror movie podcast and it's brought to you by our movie podcast network patrons and by shutter the netflix for horror you can try shutter free for 30 days just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code hmp when signing up that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r.com and the promo code hmp on Horror Movie Podcasts, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, joined by your horror hosts. Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia PA.
0: And Wolfman Josh, you know, the only movie I saw this week was in Cantonese and translated very poorly into English. So that's my long way of saying, I got nothing.
2: This is episode 192 of Horror Movie Podcast, and this is a Frankensteinian episode where we are bringing you a feature review of The McPherson Tape, a collector's crypt segment with Doc Shock telling us all about the comprehensive 80s horror documentary In Search of Darkness. We'll also have our Shutter sponsored Screaming Online segment with a review of the UK werewolf flick Howl, and we're also going to have some micro-reviews for The Furies, Headcount, the Human Race, and Vampire Cleanup Department. So, uh, yeah, we're here in, in this frankenstein <laughs> episode at, at a time when, um, you know, there's a lot of real horror going on in the world and in a lot of people's lives.
0: So, uh Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the more careful listeners uh, will have realized that I did a cross-country move uh, from Utah to Washington, D.C. Um, my father-in-law got sick, and uh, he's requiring a bone marrow transplant and potentially, you know, chemo radiation on the whole nine yards. And so my wife has been going back and forth from Washington, DC to Utah to see him. And I've had the kids out in, in, uh, in DC. So that's made, you know, the getting the last two episodes edited and up just more difficult than usual Um, already that was happening. So then as, covid 19 rolls toward us basically like my father-in-law were to get sick before his bone marrow transplant then he wouldn't be able to have his bone marrow transplant so this was the and also once he has it he can't see the kids for a hundred days and so we just thought let's go out now before he gets sick visit him before the virus gets bad and so um we went out and you know and saw him and everything and he's looking for donors and then we missed our flight home and uh, we w- booked another flight and we thought maybe we should just stay here and write and it out, you know, because the cases were worse at that time, a much worse in the DC area, because you've got that whole tri-state like
3: sure.
0: Virginia, Maryland, DC thing happening right there as opposed to in utah there had only been one case so far and it was one of the cruise ship people and he was in quarantine so we thought oh let's just stay in utah maybe write it out and just see what happens so i had packed for four days (laughs) we're gonna be here for about two
2: months (laughs) oh wow those are gonna be some those are gonna be some crusty undies boy (laughs) yeah
0: it's not like you can like run to the store and get stuff either you know it's like yeah we've all been watching all the post-apocalyptic and virus outbreak movies and everything And because it's horror fans were gluttons for pain and, uh, I realized today it's actually, it comes at night is the movie that it feels like I'm living in precisely. Like that's the one where it feels like I trust nobody. People come into the home. We have, we have guns pointed at them. We're ready to burn the house down. So real quick, (laughs) would would, would
2: that, would that count as a dead serious horror movie challenge to watch any, any of these movies, whether it's outbreak or contagion or it comes at night or any of those at this time, I feel like that is an automatic, you know, entry. (laughs)
0: absolutely anybody who's willing to do that you're dead serious about horror (laughs) especially (laughs) if if, if there is anybody
1: out there in quarantine Uh, right now sure if they're willing to watch watch the movie quarantine while there you go in quarantine quarantine.
0: (laughs) there you are (laughs) okay (laughs) well i you know i put a tweet out on the horror movie podcast twitter six days ago as i'm looking at this Um, And I said, should we do a contagion real life horror episode as a way to face our collective fears, do some real talk, take our minds off the actual pandemic outside? And the options were no, that would just add to the stress. No, that's borderline offensive. Yes, that would be cathartic release and bring on the apocalypse. (laughs) And uh overwhelmingly, fifty-six percent said yes, it would be cathartic release, and thirty-two percent said bring on the apocalypse. Yes, I wow. love I love the listeners.
2: <laughs> Cause,
0: Cause here's the thing, when you, when you initially
2: said that idea, Josh, and you were like, Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Is that you know in bad taste? I said, Well, if it is, that ship sailed for retro movie geek, because that's basically what we're covering <laughs> in the next few episodes. If, and Daryl's the one. Hey, Daryl, uh and, and I will I will save my actual real life horror story. Right related to COVID-19 and quarantine and our New York City trip when we do the New York State of grime episode okay. because it's so perfectly fitting for that episode but needless to say I finally got to meet Daryl in person and shortly thereafter he's finding himself in virtual lockdown and he's the one who came to Peter and he said, "Hey, we were going to cover Fish called Wanda. Screw that. Let's do Outbreak and Andromeda Strain, Contagion, 12 Monkeys." <laughs> he's
0: like, "Let's do yeah. them all." And when I was thinking of Contagion movies like you named them all, like those are all the ones. I mean, we did do an infected narrative episode with dr walking dead kyle bishop uh, way back in the day where our feature reviews were 28 days later and 28 weeks later but we spent the theme discussion time talking about kind of you know outbreak movies sure. um but yeah i mean i don't know I, I guess that's the question do we do we need to recover them if you guys are already doing yeah, them on do let's, be,
2: let's let's be honest um, I'm not saying, I mean, I don't want to disparage the good name of Retro Movie Geek, but let's just say it's a different tone <laughs> from what we do on HAP. Okay. So, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, all
0: right. Plus, I'm being lazy.
2: I don't have to do as much homework then. It's like I, I've already watched them, so I'm good. <laughs> and, and I, I actually want to, I actually always look for a reason
1: to rewatch Virus from 1980. Okay. I, have, I love that Which, movie. You know what? So, yeah, I've never can, and I've
2: never seen that one, so that'd be a good one to add to the uh, to the
1: mix. It, there. it is, and and there are time there are, there are parts of it that are very effective. There are parts of it that are very corny sure. and over the top. But it's a it was the the biggest budgeted Japanese movie at the time, directed by the guy who directed Battle Royale, mm. and it's got a big cast. It's got Sonny Chiba. Big Asian cast, nice. and then it also has Chuck Connors, George Kennedy, Edward James Almost, uh Glenn Ford plays a president of the United States. Henry Silva plays a plays a, a battle crazed general who wants to launch a nuclear attack. All of the stuff in this one movie and it is about a man-made virus that escapes out into the world um so i saw it on cable it's one of the two movies that i saw on cable that i thought were great finds back in the day that and the man with bogart's face were the two movies i (laughs) fell in love with on cable um and I always look, I, I got a Sunny Chiba the triple pack of movies on DVD. And luckily, that was one of them, even though Sunny Chiba's in about three minutes of the movie. <laughs> but it turns out that's a theme. All three movies that are on that, I think Sunny Chiba's in them for three minutes. That counts. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that, that
2: counts. Is, yes, it, it does. is it sad that when you said virus, my knee-jerk reaction was the 1999 movie starring January Jamie Lee Curtis? Curtis? Yeah. <laughs> I, was yeah. Like, I was like, yeah. Well, oh, wait, that, that doesn't have anything to do this. Just,
1: this movie was also, the one I'm talking about was also, I think, released as Day of Resurrection or something like that. It had another title, but virus was what it was released as here in the States. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and it was a, it was an edited version. The one I have is like two hours and two and a half hours or something like that. And when I first saw it on cable was an hour, 50 minutes. So they did throw a lot of, they threw a lot of the stuff that happens. It's filmed all over the world. There are scenes in Germany. There are scenes in South America, um, scenes in America, obviously, or North America, I should say the United States. And a, a lot of it is set in Japan. So it's it really hmm. is sort of a, a global movie and then and then a lot of it takes place in Antarctica. The last half of the movie takes place in Antarctica. So it, there's a lot going on.
0: Well, I do want to say to the 9% of our listeners who felt like uh, a contagion episode would just bring them more stress, and the 3% who said, no, I think that's offensive, guys. <laughs> Don't go down that road. Uh, I hear you. Like, it's like literally, we're, we're in this household, it's life and death stakes, you know? uh But that didn't keep me from breaking out outbreak and, uh, and indulging indulgent love because for me, yeah, there just was some kind of catharsis. Yeah, there. But we, I think it, we're also talking about doing it maybe as more of a bonus episode or bonus content. Uh, it's not going to replace uh, a regular episode. I yeah. guess. And, and I would also right. say
2: that, uh, and it's a personal preference thing after the week, my family had where we literally had a couple of family members being told somewhat, in a in a not very clear manner that they were basically being quarantined and we were waiting for results uh of a coronavirus test for a child and and all sorts of really unpleasant things that happened um i i would say the fact that my wife then and i both came home and within a couple days after that whole event sat down and watched outbreak (laughs) uh, maybe that doesn't speak well of us i don't know but it did it was oddly cathartic to do it and that's look i think that's a big thing that horror fans have about horror that was the argument daryl made it's like there's something about dealing with these things through our entertainments and through Mm. art that is just it helps and i and i think Mm. there's something to that and look if it stresses you out i get it you know
0: you just skip that episode but i would say today i was reading something someone's like uh The the, what is it? There may be a second strain or something like that, and it immediately brought outbreak to mind. I was like, Oh no, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, you know what.
1: And I got a full disclosure here I've seen outbreak once, so it would be good to watch it again. But it disturbed me so much the first time I saw it that I just haven't gone back and revisited it. It was, I just found it so disturbing. Um, Mm -hmm. but now I'm actually, but it's been a good. 10 years so i interested to, to see i would see be very again. interested
2: to see what your reaction is i remember being very disturbed by it too and i i'm not gonna say how i exactly felt about it but i would be very interested to see if you have the same reaction
0: okay yeah uh, all right it's uh i mean i it was one that worked for me so well at the time i saw it in the theater it's one of those movies that i saw like six times in the theater only so i could have that george costanza moment you know when you know when, <laughs> Seinfeld, when he goes to yell <laughs> in the theater his joke um, <laughs> that, that's, I, I went to cough in the theater an outbreak probably <laughs> five or six <laughs> times wow yeah. <laughs> yeah sneeze
2: really substantially yeah.
0: yeah because when that scene happens inside the movie theater sure. man uh-huh. That would get the people just freaking out in the theater. It was so funny to me as a teenager. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I was a butthead, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess not too, not too many things have changed. I, I, there are a couple of listener reactions uh, that I wanted to read here. Uh, this is from Sal Roma. He said, if you roll with the themed episode, I recommend 2012's The Bay. I think it's especially effective as my town has had a water ban before, allowing the plot to feel more realistic. It's also one of the most creative found footage films. Slashly G says, yes, please. I'd like to recommend the J horror film called infection. Lots of green mm. slime fun. Also <laughs> wreck.
2: Oh yeah. I love wreck. Wreck is so great.
0: Juan said way ahead of you, bros. Just watched outbreak the other night. Perfect. 90s popcorn action thriller son Jobby said i think it would be a great episode if you don't want to listen to it right now totally understandable you can give it a listen in a year's time <laughs> and then we had a lot of comments about people going to see king kong as their last film they were going to probably see in theaters before quarantining themselves so that was me uh, I- Yeah. I know you made it, Joel. How was that experience? Well, considering
2: we literally had watched Outbreak the day before and the the whole movie theater scene. (laughs) And I'm thinking, and after everything we'd gone through, I was like, is this a good idea? I'm like, okay, look, I believe it had been the first time in 64 years that King Kong had been in theaters nationally. And I was like, and my kids had seen it like once, maybe twice a long time ago. My my kids are huge into stop motion. I'm like, I kind of figured... I, you know that it wouldn't be a packed theater it was probably gonna be one of the smaller theaters I had I was right on both counts there was nobody in our row uh, but it was amusing because uh, again without giving too much away about how that whole thing went down in New York one of my kids ended up needing to have an inhaler inhaler with ibuterol so if he has <laughs> any issues he's able to, to you know take that and at one point before I think it was right before the movie started he wanted to take a puff on that and he kept saying to me dad this guy keeps looking at me <laughs> Because he was like, he's like doing this kind of hacky cough and he's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like wow, we're those people right now. We are totally right. those people. So after that, I looked at I said, well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. It was probably the last movie we're going to get to see in a theater ever. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> wow. I really wanted to see that King Kong because I, I had gone and I saw the Fathom event for Tokyo Godfathers. Oh, yeah. That came out that I really enjoyed, and they—I saw that the King Kong was coming. And said, "Oh, that would be so great to see on the big screen!" And of
0: course, I missed it, and now my theater is closed. Yeah. I saw that Jason Blum made an announcement on Friday. Anyone who hasn't seen The Invisible Man or The Hunt will be able to see them at home. Yeah world tour invisible man and more available home as movie theaters shut down so congratulations to blumhouse for all being ahead of the curve yep as usual um i don't know if this is going to affect the release of a quiet place Two. i keep yes, seeing promotions it, oh, from it. Oh, oh no it already yeah. has
2: it already has it's been bumped they haven't and they haven't set a new date in fact i took a picture i can send it to you if you want to include it in the show notes when we saw king kong they had the big standee for quiet place Two, and they had actually taken something and blocked out the release date on the standee oh um,
1: wow
2: yeah interesting yeah so uh it's it's that's happened everything up till june at this point has gotten
0: bumped oh it's good to know i mean on one hand it's been kind of like you know it, it comes at night just trying to prevent any germ from possibly entering our house but at the same time it's been kind of like cool. I've been I've been homeschooling the kids. I know you've done that, Joel, and it's a different experience and I'm spending way more time with them. And yeah, and we are going out in nature because in yes. Utah you can't get outside and there yep. just aren't people everywhere. Yep, same in Florida
2: at least where we are so much more
0: time like playing soccer and football and just hanging out with my kids and it's been actually kind of fun jen mcgowan who directed rust creek that film that Mm -hmm. we talked about last year yeah Mm -hmm. she had a tweet the other day she said yesterday i was sitting in my office looking out through the french doors at the beautiful sunshine breathing the crisp air watching the hummingbirds thinking huh this is not the way we tend to show pandemics on screen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like a peaceful zen garden <laughs> i saw that i saw
2: that tweet yeah that was cool yeah, that's, that's funny for those out there that have maybe wondered like the sporadic nature of the episodes these are the reasons i mean we all have a lot going on but uh, we're, we're not going anywhere we're not we're not this isn't like we're you know the slowly uh pod fading what one episode of time this is just a a series of unfortunate events is what this has been <laughs>
0: Yeah, assuming yeah. as Pete Holmes says the world doesn't end by the lord then uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. yeah. I mean I was I was awoken by an earthquake this morning and I was telling you guys yeah. I, we live right on a fault line Yes, like, that's that's overdue for the big one to hit. Yeah, right. Well, and, and it was a 5.5 to 5.9 I think, um uh, but you know, when I I was shook awake this morning, I just thought, "Oh no, this is really going." To- <laughs> well, and I mean, here's the thing, Josh. Here's the thing,
2: Josh. And in future reference. I know I'm not your top priority when these things happen, but I sent you, I sent you and and Jay and everybody else I know in that area uh, a text, just like, "Hey, you okay?" Yeah. Everybody gets back to me, but Josh, who I know, the time that we met in person, you telling me about that fault line, and I'm thinking. Yeah and how your house would like be gone and like and, and my kids even were like has, has Josh come back to you yet dad has Josh has Josh come back to you yet dad
0: and, and finally i finally said oh look he just said yep Thanks. He's good. Okay. Whew. Well, that was only to be fair, let me look at 30 minutes after, after the earthquake happened. So I probably was trying to go back to sleep I, I, at that I, point. I, I know, but, and, uh, and I, and I
2: may be just the side of neurotic uh, about, about people I care about, but I'm just saying that, uh, that, he was, no, I, appreciate, I
0: appreciate it. And I apologize. No, but again, it, look, it's a
2: fine line between, I realize, like, again, I'm not your top, you know, if, if literally you were like digging your family out of rubble at that point, I know going, Oh, hold on. I got a text from Joel. I don't want him to be upset. Let me let him let him know. Yeah, we're good. I've almost got everybody out of the hole. Um, But uh, that said, I am very thankful that this was not a big one. But I I just said to my family, it's like, dude, can the guy and his family catch a break? What in the
0: heck? That is crazy. So I'm just expecting, and again, raised very religiously, uh, you know, as they say in Armageddon, the worst parts of the Bible, basically the worst parts of the Bible. And I was, I was tweeting this also earlier, you know, I wasn't going to say anything about the pestilence or the wars and rumors of wars, but when you're woken by an earthquake amidst all this stuff, it's like, all right, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm reconsidering. <laughs> yeah, reconsidering a whole lot of
2: stuff here. Yeah. Oh, they, man, it just, yeah, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. So here's the key though. We're all still here. <laughs> yeah. I, I always come back to that idea of like you know what the it, 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 people have it a lot worse you know I mean at the end of the oh, day sure. you know to to that tweet you mentioned earlier from the director of Rust Creek sitting there able to to look out on on your your patio or whatever like you said go on a, a walk with your kids or spend time with them or. Or or right. be or be like Dave, have to answer really goofy questions from customers who apparently can't pay attention. A Total inside joke from something we talked about earlier. <laughs> you yes. know, whatever, whatever. The point is, we're here, and that's that's what matters. And so we oh, yeah. we, we care about all of you that are you know, listening, and even people who aren't listening. But we want you to know that we're thinking about you. Uh, you know, we're we're here to hopefully give you a little respite from all of the wackiness. We hope, and uh, mm-hmm. we hope you'll you'll keep tuning in uh, to to uh, upcoming episodes
0: right and, you know and I, again like i am taking it seriously i was reading this earlier from reuters it said uh south korea was doing a heroic job controlling covid for the first 30 patients then patient 31 did not adhere to social distancing and i, I reading the article they went to a buffet and then went to church uh, this <laughs> one single person caused two clusters responsible for 80 percent of korean infections wow, wow. so Don't be patient 31. Can I just say, can I say (laughs) the obvious, can I just say
2: the obvious thing? Just don't be a dick (laughs) because because patient 31, no offense kind of a dick
0: <laughs> and then, uh, all of course also friday the 13th fell during this time so sure. i'm, sorry, I'm yes. reading a lot of tweets but eric d snyder who's a former film critic uh from my area and from and from washington state he says everyone please do not buy hockey masks unless you are murdering teens who <laughs> are actually out there murdering teens every day need them and we're facing a shortage
2: <laughs> that's awesome
1: i appreciated that as well yeah that's the thing i didn't think i'd be spending um this uh whole sort of apocalyptic event having to go to work every morning.
0: Yeah. been like Dave. Like like an actual <laughs> oh, it's apocalypse. <laughs> been, uh,
1: it's I'll tell you what, the the after the first announcement, it was like Christmas and a snowstorm, like the day before a snowstorm put together. Yeah the way people are just rolling in and everything they're buying. And I work in a deli and, you know, usually you get oh half a pound of American cheese and three quarters of a pound of Turkey. (laughs) We were getting four pounds of American cheese and four pounds of Turkey and, and five pounds of roast beef. And it's like, are you, are you feeding the Turkish army? I mean, this stuff's not going to stay good for months and months and months. I mean, this is, I don't know why they're getting So we run out. Of course, we start yeah. running out of things by by the time it hit Sunday, we had low sodium ham was one of the only. <laughs>
3: <laughs> of course,
1: was it was. <laughs> what do you guys have left? Low sodium ham.
2: Ah, never mind. I'll starve. I'm good
1: because it's round and pink and gross, and nobody likes it. We can slice that for you. <laughs> for some reason, the meat wall, which which we can see from from the deli where I work, uh, that night there was one huge empty section and i could only see that section i said wow they wiped us out of meat i look over Mm -hmm. oh no there's plenty of steak there's plenty of pork every bit of chicken was gone (laughs) it was all gone well everyone knows that chicken stops coronavirus steak pork all this other stuff was still there nobody wanted that they all wanted the chicken and then I started thinking, well, how about the avian flu? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you can survive the
2: avian flu. They're going to help us get through coronavirus. Well, I have a question. Did Did anybody come up with a theory as to why? Because at least like, okay, I'm still trying to figure out the whole panic and get all the toilet paper this thing apparently doesn't cause dysentery so I'm not sure about the toilet paper thing <laughs> like like everybody's acting almost as if like how people in Florida act when there's a hurricane like all the water yeah. being gone it's like do you guys think the water supply is going to just shut down I'm not, I'm not right. sure yeah, I, what the logic I'll tell you is what,
1: I saw a woman uh, probably 82 years old she was pushing a cart and she had this this roll of toilet paper it must have been 72 it was mounted in the front like the guns of the Navarro <laughs> <laughs> and she's pushing it and she's 82 and I'm thinking, I think that might be a lifetime supply I don't know why they're <laughs> buying why was she buying so much toilet paper and it and then it really was it it and you saw that with everyone I mean people were pushing you know carts with like
2: every everything you can imagine I and- okay, look I get a run on soap and hand sanitizer that at least I yeah. can compute and it makes some kind of sense why people are panicking and buying all that up but there's just certain things and now you add chicken to the mix and I'm even more confused <laughs> I, yeah, I, don't, don't, get I don't get that either and, and our, of course in one of our bathrooms somebody tried to pull the
0: hand sanitizer off the wall oh my gosh I don't want to make this racial but I did see some memes going around about how the only spices that are sold out are the ones the white people use So <laughs> <laughs> if you go and look at like the spice section. It'll be like all the curries and everything are like well stocked, but then just salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I, I, I
2: don't. I don't want to make it racially either, Josh. But I will quote <laughs> the great Daryl Taylor. White people are crazy. That is a that is, that is a straight from Daryl, and I can't say he's wrong. Oh, I'm,
1: I can't say he's wrong either. I mean, one of the things. I mean, our our deli is now gone to. You know, we're just doing package. We're not having over the counter. We were limiting our interaction with the customers. So That's we're not nice even, for you. Yeah, absolutely. So we're now just doing pre package, and we're putting it out. So we were cleaning the case. The case is completely taken taken apart. There's no meat, anything in it. It's taken apart. So you see this, like the fans that run underneath it to keep it cool. And the light is off. Okay. Two customers walked up and said, are you guys still slicing? <laughs> the, supermarkets are essential. I get that. And they need to stay open. Lunch meat might not be essential. especially <laughs> sliced lunch meat in a specific way <laughs> is even less essential. I'm just throwing that out there, you know? Oh, I don't like the way it is over there. I like it thinner. Well, sorry.
0: <laughs> you can't get it thinner. That is hilarious. Hey, why should we give up our comforts just because there's a terrible disease? Yeah, you know, oh and- yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I heard a, I heard a woman today screaming at someone at the bakery because they are now they don't have the cookies loose anymore. They have to buy two cookies at a time in
0: a bag. I just want one cookie. <laughs> Why can't I just get one cookie? <laughs> Dude, that reminds me just very briefly at our local little market you they're selling now toilet paper two rolls at a time so you have to go and they will open the package and sell you two single rolls because that's oh. what the run on toilet paper is. Yeah,
1: And that's what we're doing too. We are limiting items at our store. Like there are certain things you can, and one of them is actually rice. We did sell out all of all of the rice that but again, was there. So that you can only kind get, of
3: makes sense it, it to makes me. Sense.
1: It absolutely does. I understand the rice. The toilet paper was limited to two. I had a woman came up today and say, are you limiting the bologna? Which was in the free pack. And I said, no, I don't think the bologna is limited. So she bought three.
0: <laughs> wow. You know, and again, not to get political, but Dave, we talk about income disparity in the United States. So many professions have shut down office, but the grocery store workers are yeah. essential. To the survival of our nation and world, yes. so uh, these are the people who we should be paying the big salaries, and <laughs> the NBA players should be waiting for their <laughs> COVID tests, and we should be giving them all to the belly counter. Yeah, they were the first ones that shut down. the The NBA folks shut right. down like first before anybody right. did. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. And it's funny because they are talking today about uh, you know tests. They're going to start testing people in this area, and one of the first that they're going to test are all of the grocery store employees. <laughs> (laughs) I'm probably going to get a test at some point to make sure that we don't have it and we're not getting it from, you know, because even with everyone saying, you know, though they don't want to be, you know, don't get together, no big crowds. There was a huge crowd. I mean, I'm talking like uh, in our store on Thursday and Friday, when this whole thing started to break, there were crowds in that store where I'm talking like thousands walking through that store over the course of the whole day and uh, it's concerning you know it's like hey everyone most of the world is trying to avoid people and here i am in a procession where everybody comes rolling
0: in yeah luckily i'm paranoid i've been on it for like three weeks I got got everything before it went went bad. (laughs) Although it's now sitting in an apartment in Washington, D.C., so who knows if I'll ever see it again. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, the one thing I do want to say to our listeners, I am glad that at least Podcast listeners, generally speaking, are already good at social distancing. So yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm hoping everyone stays safe out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Take care of yourselves. Take, take care of your, the, your community and the people around you. And, uh, you know, just I think it just it I feel like everybody listening is going to be decent enough to, to think about the fact that if we all just have a, a little bit of sacrifice now, you know, it, it, if you aren't familiar with the concept of flattening the curve, look it up. It's a thing, and it's important. No. So, our, you know, the healthcare system and everything else. Uh, I, I know someone who is very connected to uh, infectious disease type stuff, and they basically, in the area they're in, and and the specific uh, city that they're working out of is a nowhere near like a San Francisco or New York or anything like that. And they were essentially saying a couple weeks ago, even that based on the early numbers, that if they didn't flatten the curve, that there was a really good chance that every single medical professional in that area would have to work 25 hours a day nonstop. And they'd still have to turn people away. Like that's how bad it could get. So it's not a joke. You know, it's not yeah, a, and joke. I saw
0: a doctor saying, you know, there are so few like respirators that they're going to have to take a, make a choice between yeah. two patients who they could be helping. Sure. And, well, that's what happened in Italy, right? I mean, one. that's essentially
2: what happened in Italy. Yeah. You know, you, you had a lot of elderly and, and people and it's like, it's, it's like that, what's the, the wartime sort of decision where, you know, you've got all these people laid out on, on cots and on gurneys and you're having to decide who's got the best chance. And I mean, that's, that's horrific. I mean, that is absolutely I mean, horrific.
0: So, um, nuts. To make this ageist, since I've already done race and <laughs> politics. Yeah. Come on, Josh. Let's get the <laughs> trifecta going. I see a lot of millennials say, well, it's only old people. It's like, I happen to have some elderly in my life that I care about. Like, yeah. ease
1: off. Like, I think we all do, you know?
0: Like- yeah. I got to believe that even young people
2: have, like, grandparents and aunts, you know, mm-hmm. older aunts and uncles and and maybe their own parents who they care about. So I, I kind of question How that I've heard that argument and I'm sure there are a handful of people, but it's like, unless you, you don't have anybody in your like immediate life, I don't get why you would even remotely think that way. Yeah. Okay. You'll be fine.
0: But your mom, (laughs) your dad, your grandma, really? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Well, my grandma's 93. So back off and wash your hands, people. Yes. Wash your hands. Everyone wash your hands. Why weren't you
2: washing your hands before? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so with that, we are now going to go into our feature review for the McPherson tape from 1989.
1: outside the house you saw it
3: through that window,
2: uh-huh. the, window? <laughs> the McPherson tape also known as UFO abduction from 1989 was directed by Dean alioto either you nailed it or butchered it I don't know probably both <laughs> at the same time <laughs> and he uh, made this movie now I want to preface all of this by saying it appears that I guess this movie was originally made in the late 80s, even though it takes place in the early 80s, and then something happened to it, and then they remade it in the late 90s. I, I guess that, that was, well, we'll get into that. We'll get into yeah. that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the basic uh, IMDb breakdown is on a typical fall evening in 1983, a young man was videotaping his niece's fifth birthday party. As the night's strange occurrences took place, he kept his video camera running, recording the entire event. Da, da, da. And that is UFO Abduction, AKA McPherson Tape. And this is a very short movie. Yes, I think so, an hour and two minutes. Yes, it, it is, and you know, okay, I don't know that I've ever had a chance to talk about my feelings, and I'm using air quotes here that no one can see on an audio podcast, about <laughs> found footage movies. Okay, Mm -hmm. I know some people love them and some people hate them. And I don't I'm trying to remember where you two fall in that. I feel like you guys are somewhere in between.
3: Yeah,
1: I I think it's hard. to. There was such a glut of them for so long. Sure. One of the things with um, found footage that struck me as I as I saw, uh, you know, a handful of the really bad ones was that even acting natural requires some level of acting. Mm hmm. And you didn't always get that. You, you there were several movies that I saw, and I, I there are no titles leaping to mind, and that I'm, that's probably a good thing, uh, where you're you just never bought it. So that's one thing. And and when you get Blair Witch, then mm-hmm. you had the the Paranormal Activity. So you it's sort of just kept rolling and rolling and rolling just like a snowball downhill and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then it's finally to the point where you didn't, you couldn't possibly see all of them but yet there are still some that were done very well mr yeah. jones leaps to mind and borderlands from the uk and and you know movies like that and um even in recent years, I think that there are still some of quality. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's established itself that, that it's still viable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, uh, at first everyone's like, well, they're going to go away soon, but I don't know that they will. I don't know that they're going to disappear completely as long as they're still being done right. And this one is from, what's interesting about the McPherson tape is it, it was made in 1989. Yeah. 10 years before Blair Witch. Ten years before Blair Witch, that that they were making this, and and could this be the first movie where someone said, "Turn that damn camera off"? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, because I think the argument always has been, "Cannibal Holocaust" is sort of like the, the at least the one that comes to mind that would be the maybe original
0: found footage type yes. movie and there's then, a lot of argument i mean that one's only partially found footage yeah, right I mean, sure right legend of boggy creek is 72 oh, yes. yeah, another one so right. we're talking eight years before that and then we actually i mean you can argue war of the worlds to some degree is kind of in this vein as well which the basically- director of this i believe
2: credits with he wanted to make a videotape version
0: Okay, there you go. And that right. was that was the thought
2: process, which, I mean, I could definitely right. see that for sure. Um, Blair Witch gets all the credit. I remember, do you remember the last broadcast that came out around yes. the time? Yeah. And I remember yeah. seeing yes. the last broadcast at the Enzian in Orlando. It was like the big deal was they were doing some kind of, and uh, this was a like real big, you know, Tech breakthrough in uh, the late '90s. They were doing some kind of satellite broad- live broadcast to all like five different theaters, and uh, it was something. I remember it being a thing. Like they were making a big deal out of it, and because I lived right. in that area, we went and saw it. So I, and that was pre Blair Witch. Um, and I remember I enjoyed that quite a bit. I mean, it was very low budget. And Did you see
0: Eduardo Sanchez at that screening? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't recall. I can either confirm or deny. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he was. I don't think he,
2: he was. He was probably out actually making. Uh, Blair Witch, I think, at that point. Right, I think when they come out, 98? 99 was Blair Witch. Yes. I think the last broadcast came out in 2000, but it was shot, obviously, before that. Yeah, it was that. before that. I saw that before. It was already um, 98 or 99 when I saw it. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm thinking 98, and that was the one that took place in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Yep. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay.
0: I really like found footage. You know, I think for a long time, if you'd have asked me that question, Joel, I would have said, well, I like them if they're done well. And I think I have come around to the realization that No, I'm I'm just a fan of this as Mm -hmm. a format. Whether you call it a format or a subgenre, I'm actually okay with either. And it's a storytelling device, but that storytelling device has led to an entire subgenre of films with certain tropes, right? Sure. So it's both, I think, to some degree. Um, You know, I think I always talk about science fiction because I was on the sci-fi podcast for a while. And then I tell people, yeah, I'm not really a huge sci-fi fan. (laughs) and they're like what you're one of the hosts of the sci-fi pack yeah i like good sci-fi but to me fandom i've identified now in my old age as things when you like things even when they're bad i've realized is what it is and so like i am a horror fan through and through because i'll watch a bad horror movie happily and it doesn't bother me in the slightest but i can't watch a bad sci-fi movie like i have to leave the room i have to turn off the tv i can't take it and I'm not like that with found footage. like I there are some that w- will really drive because there are like you said, there are a lot of really bad found footage films. But the ones that are just kind of bad, eh, I still enjoy. like the conspiracy. It's not an A plus film but I liked every second I was watching it, you know? And so mm-hmm. uh, the other measuring stick I'd go by is, can I make a top 10 list of the subgenre? And it's very easy for me to throw together a top 10 list of found footage movies. I think there are a lot of good found footage movies. I would have honorable mentions for sure, you know? And so, yeah, I'm a fan. I think we did a
1: found footage episode where we at least did a top five, if not a top 10. You know,
0: we. I think you did a top five. But I don't know that everyone else said I'll look that up while we're talking. But. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, right.
2: I I was gonna say, I feel like I've watched many of them because I I just mm-hmm. feel like I've seen a ton, yet when as like a lot of the titles you guys mentioned, i maybe vaguely heard of, but I've never seen them. So I, right. I feel like this is a subgenre I've only seen the big ones, quote unquote big ones. You know, the the one I mean obviously the Cloverfields and the uh, Paranormal Activity, I, and I even Paranormal Activity. I've seen the first one, never saw the sequels. Um, mm. I, I just didn't, I never had any interest. I really, but here's the thing. The ones I've seen, typically, I actually really like. I liked the last broadcast. I know a lot of people didn't. I mean, it was a very, very low budget movie. Um, I liked Blair Witch when it came out, but then I did that annoying contrarian thing when everybody and their brother started loving it, where I'm like, eh, it ain't that great. So then, and then <laughs> right. I was in my early 20s, what do you want? And so then as I we're on... I turn around I'm like, OK, I can appreciate it for what it is and and, and that kind of thing. I believe it does have some legit creepy moments to it. Uh, and so I there are a lot in this subgenre that I enjoy. Like, I can't say I don't like the subgenre. I also feel like I'm not nearly as well versed in it, though, to have a really strong opinion you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like if mm-hmm. I would seen more, then I could definitely tell. Yeah. But uh, I, here's the thing. So, back to the McPherson tape, since that's the movie we're reviewing right now. I, I don't know how you felt, Dave, because I, Josh, I know you didn't get a chance to see it yet, but it's like you're moving or something. You've been moving. I don't know. You've been busy. What? Something? Yeah, something going on in your life? I don't know. <laughs> so, I will say that I sat down to this movie and I don't want to say I went in thinking, okay, it'll be what it is, blah, blah, blah. But, I popped it in as soon as it started up, I was immediately engaged at the fact that even though it did not look 1983 to me, okay, but I didn't do any research prior to watching the movie, and honestly, I didn't even really read up on it until recently And I, when I knew we were finally going to cover it on the show— I didn't realize this was actually filmed in the late '80s for a very low mm-hmm. budget, and I w- that that was the thing as I was watching. Was like, I kept thinking to myself, "Did they make this recently?" Because I swear to God, if they did, they nailed the aesthetic of like 1988, '89, <laughs> like. Yes. That was the
1: thing. That's what got me. Even even down to like the food. As they are sitting yeah. at dinner and you're looking at the food and yes. and the way everybody looks, you're like, you know, if if this was low budget, they really did their Holy research. Holy crap! Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm thinking this is in the 2000s. This was made. Yes, that's what I and thought. And then when I found out, when I found out it was 89, okay, well that sort of explains the look of the film, but it also. I was a little more impressed just because of how early yes. a found footage film this is. Yes, yeah, so it's almost like
2: either direction it gets brownie points from the format they were shooting on. I don't know if they were shooting three-quarter inch or, or you know SVHS. I-
1: yeah, I mean, it, it was probably more advanced than this, but my, the first VHS camera my father bought, we had to carry around a portion of the VCR with it on the strap. I remember those. Yep. You know, and the camera was huge and you got the the VHS that was huge. And I just remember standing in my backyard, filming my brother pitching and, and, and going, my arm is going to fall off, Uh, you you know, because the equipment was so cumbersome. I don't think because by 90, the cameras were much more compact. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the case in the late eighties, but if it's the early eighties, when this movie is set, this guy walking around with this camera, you know, he
2: must have like Popeye biceps or something with <laughs> exactly. the one arm he's carrying this damn camera around with. And I think for me, the fact this is 89, who's when they actually filmed it, you know, that would have been the time period my dad bought me a Quasar VHS camera. And mm-hmm. I I mean, I I did like that or I would just be the annoying person who was walking around filming everything and everyone for no, oh, me too. no apparent me, me reason. Too. And I was one being told all the time to shut the damn camera off. And oh, s- yeah. And so... When it was playing out the way it was, and again, understanding that this is A, 10 years before Blair Witch, so we are not watching something that is affected by all of that. It's not like, hey, oh, Blair Witch is a huge hit, let's go make our version. This is a movie that at that time, in 1989, I would think the mindset would have been much more toward, you know, even though slashers obviously were not. At their peak anymore, but that would I could see for a low budget. That's what you would have made, not mm-hmm. a found footage type movie. That wasn't even I do not think right. would found footage even been a thing that you would have said. Probably not. Uh, I don't even, it was in the lexicon. But the, being influenced by
1: and the fact that it's a very sci-fi heavy story, and that it is being influenced by the War of the Worlds. Yes. that makes sense. Yes, you know with what Orson Welles did with that thirty-nine broadcast.
2: Yes, and I and I do think that there were moments in this, okay. That were actually legitimately creepy. And I, I almost like I point to, mm-hmm. was it, was it intentional or was it just like happy accident that I, I think of a specific scene without giving anything away. There's a scene when they're, the brothers are traipsing through the woods and they, and they come upon something and the way it was filmed Because, again, that's what it would have looked like in the dark woods with a VHS camera. So you could only make out just enough that it's super creepy. Like, there's something inherently creepy about that. Um, And, in fact, I will have to tell you, I really loved all aspects of this movie because it felt so authentic to the time that it was made, obviously because it was made then. Um, And the fact that... Even though the character that, especially the one with the camera, it's, it's like, you know, at some points is like just yelling and, and you know, you, at any point you got to put down the freaking camera, right? Of course, that's the, the big problem with a lot of found footage. Like, dude, just put down the camera right but it's right, weird because right. because this predates all the other found footage it's like i want to give him a pass for that like i like oh no actually i see why you would have totally had the character doing this and, and 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 kind of almost like been the it's sort of like how black christmas helped create the some of the tropes at least at least in my mind of you know like the calls are coming from in that you know that kind of thing right i feel like right. this movie you could i mean even though it didn't it wasn't a known thing but then again some could argue black christmas wasn't either uh that the tropes that are in it would go on to be overdone. But at that time in 1989, they would have been totally new. And so the fact this guy won't put the camera down up until the end. And I mean, the literally the last shot of this movie. It had me. Mm-hmm. It really did. I mean, it wasn't yeah. perfect. It was like, to your point, Josh, sometimes when a found footage movie, isn't even like necessarily great. It can still be so engaging and you're like into it. Yeah. Uh, this movie was like that for me. Totally, I don't feel like good or bad are the right words to use. It's not like that. It looks like somebody's shooting their niece's birthday. That they never turn right. the stick of camera off for the most part. And actually, do they ever? Did he ever really turn it off? I don't know that he did. No,
1: it's it's almost like it's it's real time. Yeah, that's the thing about yeah. the movie. It's, yeah, the, this hour two minutes plays out in real time. It's it starts at the birthday party, and an hour later.
3: Yeah
2: all hell is breaking loose. So, yeah. And I just loved it. And I don't know how you feel, Dave, about this, but I loved that he was willing in, in that hour or two. That's not a lot of time, right? To have moments of the care, the camera and the character you brought up the dinner scene. I like, just yeah. sit down at the table and just watch the family eat. Like it would be what you would do. Like it was.
1: And you know what? They don't, they don't One of what I liked about it in those early scenes was they don't, provide you with a lot of backstory on any of these characters you don't know the relationship of any of these people sitting there yeah (laughs) By 10 minutes you figure this out with no exposition
2: yeah there's no there's no exposition of that entire movie
1: it's a mother yeah uh and three basically adult sons I guess the one with the camera, we're meant to think that maybe he's still in high school. I I get that, like an older teenage
2: vibe, like 17, 18. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And then uh, another one who's in college and, and has some sports background. The oldest who is assuming the role of a father for the other two and yet needling the hell out of the one with the camera because they just think he's a
2: lazy SOB <laughs> and who, wasn't that feel, who, didn't that feel so real to you by the way that yes, felt like how brothers will be with each other like just this obnoxious absolutely <laughs> to the point that when
1: they're walking ahead of him and he shoots the finger up in front of the camera yes. to the both of them behind their back the passive aggressive
2: Exactly. that's what I would have done yes. that's I think what everybody would have done yes yeah. exactly yeah and it's like there's, there's this sense like if there is any exposition it's done in such a way that it's just like when they go out to the fuse box and the and he's got the camera it's kind of you know like you would you'd hold it down and you'd end up filming right. you know like ground and not actually be framing anything up and you can hear them talking or the ones talking uh, about a, a girl in a certain way and it just it feel, felt very authentic in those yes. moments there were moments that felt a little forced but there were oh, enough yeah. of those authentic moments
1: that I think worked. later later on yes it felt a little forward. Like, I didn't really get playing Go Fish. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. What had come before. Yeah. I didn't really see, and especially to sort of play it as calmly. <laughs> I, th- I think I took that as they were trying to
2: co- keep the kid calm. That's what I took uh, yeah. at it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They, they, they were tra- but the kid didn't seem upset to me at one point throughout the whole movie. And I didn't re- I didn't really buy how they figured out what was going on outside. Mm -hmm. But again, you're going to cut it a little bit of slack because A, of the time, and this is 1989, Mm -hmm. and B, they do, with that, with no exposition, that shows that they went to great lengths to keep this something that anybody watching it would think this really happened. This is something that was happening to these people at that time. You know, none of this, as you know, last year when I sat, you know, this is all just them talking and we figure out we get these relationships from that. Yeah, that we fully believe this guy started up this camera at this party in the middle of this party and watched as it played out. And I think that's one of the great strengths of this. And, you know, again, going back to what Orson Welles did with, uh, you know, War of the Worlds, convincing people that it was real. I don't know that anybody at the end of this movie would think, wow, this is something that really happened to these people. But the filmmaker went the extra mile to do everything he could to make it that way.
0: The way you're describing it starting up during the party you remind, is reminding me of Cloverfield as well. You wonder yeah. if Abrams saw this and... That's a good, that's a good question. I, I, I would, that would be very interested in that myself. And when we say, just so we're
2: clear on this, when we say party, we literally mean a family of like six or seven people sitting around a dinner table. <laughs> like it's not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's sitting sitting like the dinner party Yeah. Party. Yeah.
1: But we've picked up the conversation. They're not even like starting new conversations. No. Yeah. It's like we're in the point. middle. Thinking, it's like, it's definitely
2: what? in media's race. Like you are right in the middle of their experience. Again, you don't even know the relationships at this point but you're getting a feel for the characters and it's also the way they talk around the table because it's like those like you mm-hmm. just brought up that conversation with those brothers that's in like the background over the mom talking to maybe the girlfriend closer to the camera and that's like the dominant conversation so it very right. much feels like you got know, people talking over each other it, and it felt very authentic this is every family meal i've ever had at my parents house <laughs> it felt that way it, it did. did it felt that yeah. way it was yeah now, i will say this is interesting. You brought the whole thing about how real it seems and all that so uh i want to uh, go to the mdba trivia real quick because there are some interesting things to point out about this movie so first off it was very rare for years because I guess the master tape, and by the way, we are assuming that all this trivia is accurate, <laughs> to take that with a grain of salt, right, right, uh, right. that it was destroyed in a warehouse fire shortly after being picked up for distribution and that the director began selling VHS copies of the film via email in 2003. So, and then wow. as of two, uh, 2018, he uh, started selling, I guess, remastered DVDs and digital downloads of the film.
1: We have this on DVD and it was sent to us by POV Horror. Yes. And, and then the found footage uh, critic. And the one commentary I listened to was by POV horror, uh, uh, you know, one of the Michael, representatives, Michael right. And uh, found footage critic. And they were talking about this movie and how this is, was made in 1989. I'll be honest with you. Cause it was made for $6,500. Yeah. So you is
0: did, what definitely they had did not see the $1.2 million version. No, 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 no. This no, was, no,
1: no. <laughs> they said the one we, the one that they were discussing in the commentary, was made for sixty five hundred dollars. Yeah, in nineteen eighty nine. Now, if it was sixty five hundred dollars in nineteen ninety eight, that would have just gone to giving you the look of the eighties. The whole sixty five hundred would have been chewed up with recreating that look of the eighties. That this thing would have been even more imp- if this was from 1998 i would have been like holy cow yeah
2: that's impre- a yeah, honestly that would have been insane yeah <laughs> did they really create the, the late 80s yeah Plus what they were able to do beyond that. But here's the thing. What's interesting is that in the IMDb trivia, it says commonly known under the incorrect name, the McPherson tape, referring to the version we're talking about today. It says due to the true origin of the movie falling into obscurity around the early 90s, when a pirated version without credits was widely circulated in video stores and among ufologists. And then it goes into, in spite of this title, the film does not actually concern anyone named McPherson. <laughs> good point. It's about the fictional Van Heese family. The later remake, Alien Abduction Incident Lake County, does, however, feature a fictional McPherson family. Confusingly, the remake is also often referred to as a McPherson tape. Many internet databases use the two titles of the two films interchangeably. But what's really cool to me, because they kind of, you get the sense from the DVD and everything that they're trying to perpetuate a little bit of this urban legend aspect of this thing like is it real is it not real and i guess again according to the trivia many ufo enthusiasts incorrectly believe the film consists of real footage of an alien abduction and it was presented as possibly being such an an episode uh, in the 90s uh, paranormal investigation show encounters which I actually remember watching that. However, this is due to a bootlegged <laughs> copy being distributed without the opening logos and in credits, which verify that the film is indeed a professional fictional production, as well as the United States film board publicly confirming it, uh, as a work of fiction in July of 2012. I will tell you this. If you had shown me this movie without any credits, starting where it starts and then ending before that final shot, because there is a moment where you go, yeah, okay, yeah, come on. <laughs> but, Oh, <laughs> uh, if, if, if it hadn't done that, I'm not kidding. I would, and you had said to me, dude, this is real. Like this is something that's circulating on the internet. I'd have put, I'd have had a pause. I've been like, really? That, that can't, no, it can't be. Cause, and then I would have started trying to break it down. But he would, I would have had, if I had seen it, especially even up to maybe like that third, I guess you want to call it the third act, uh, uh, that area. Like if you'd like almost like had it just kind of end, like just suddenly. If that would have been so disturbing <laughs> because it would have felt pretty <laughs> staking real. I mean, there, there would have been things yeah. that make you go, Hmm, but there was enough to make you go.
1: Ugh, okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would have liked to have experienced it without knowing, you know, w- w- without opening credits and then credits yeah, and having a DVD sent to us. Yeah. That this is a, found footage from the POV and the found footage and everything Yeah, to have seen it without that. And especially at this point in 1989, Mm -hmm. I would have been, they would have had me
2: hook, line and sinker. I I really think they would have. How about this for a marketing trick? How awesome would this have been? They just sent us. A V like a blank looking VHS tape, like the ring, but maybe mm-hmm. all it has is like a piece of masking tape with like Sharpie, <laughs> and it just scribbles and it just says like the McPherson tape. That's all, just handwritten. Uh, yeah, and then you pop that in your VCR. Oh my god, I would have crapped my pants. <laughs> I, exactly, I would have. Oh my god, I would have died. I would have locked myself in my room and I would say, "Who the hell sent me this <laughs> damn tape?" Oh my god, I would have been so scared. There have been no credits, and that, la- right. and that last shot had not been there. I can tell you, I would have been freaked. The characters
1: do things during the movie that you're like, what are you insane? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it still feels somehow organic to the characters and maybe what they would do when faced with this situation. I can't sit here and say I would act any differently. I don't know that I would have carried a certain thing into a bedroom. (laughs)
2: But here's the thing. I, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who told me this story and, and, and about something that happened to him on, on a personal level. So we'll go into it, but it was one of the stories that was so outlandish that it had to be true. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's that idea that truth is so much stranger than fiction often. And so how often do mm-hmm. you hear people say, oh, that'll never make a good movie because nobody will buy it. So ha- those types of things, and again, without the credits, without it on on a, on a Blank looking VHS tape. I tell you, man, I would have been really like, okay. In the nineties, if this thing was going around as a bootleg VHS, I could see why people were having, especially if they only got like a part of it. You only saw like just parts of it. Right. That would really jack you up.
1: Oh yeah. And this was, this was at a time. I mean, this is like 89, 90. I was in college at this point and I was in video production. And this looks like every damn video I saw (laughs) in that video production. I remember people editing their home videos on the equipment in the college Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for their family members sitting around the table. And it looked a lot like this movie. Yeah. And I did not know it was from 89 until I listened to the commentary. As I was watching, I thought, wow, did they capture the 80s? well?" And as we're talking, this was from obviously from 1989, mm-hmm. but it's set in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. 83.
2: It's set in
1: 1983 when I, you know, graduated from eighth grade. And that was the same year we got our first camera. And whenever my father took videos, it looks as crappy <laughs> as some of
2: the shots in this movie. I will tell you that from that aesthetic, that is what 83 is the year that the first season of stranger things takes place. And the one thing I always give that show is they—I feel like they captured really well that early eighties vibe. Cause there's a distinct difference between 83 in my mind and like 89, like 87, right. 88, 89 have a look that 82, 83, and even 84. It's, they look different. That early eighties era still has a little bit of that grittiness of the seventies left over. There's yeah. just something about it. Late eighties. You're starting to get into that glitz and shine and mall hair and right. shoulder pads. And, 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 and,
1: and the, and the cameras are a little more sophisticated. Yes. The video, was a yeah. little more sophisticated, but in the early 80s, I mean, I'm thinking of a Christmas morning when my father took me and my brother getting our Atom computer for ColecoVision, <laughs> which we had for one oh, day, yeah. and it loaded with a yeah. tape, and my father said, well, to hell with this, and he went out and bought an Apple IIe, <laughs> but... It still had that look. It looked like that to me. It yeah. looked like that video of when the tri- when the tripod moves, you hear the squeak. Oh, I'm yeah. just thinking of my video now. Yeah, the squeak. You know, but but with this guy, you know, and, and sitting at that table and filming like the, the the meal and everything, it just really it was that authentic to me. It really yeah. was. Yeah. I, I was like, wow, this this could have been a neighbor of mine. Yeah. You know?
2: I realize we're essentially going on and on what is what is ostensibly someone's home movie <laughs> yes i know and
1: then it. it's funny because this was i this was the one i thought would be the quickest review <laughs> of the
2: night <laughs> <laughs> no for some weird reason this is the kind of thing that just sets me off right. so if the aesthetic of late 80s uh, home video <laughs> is, is your cup of tea right but look it has some creepy moments in it i'd
1: say the last 15 minutes you get more of that than you do in the first 45 yeah
2: yeah i always feel like this a movie like this if you truly wanted to legit do like andy kaufman level screw with people it would have mm-hmm. just ended randomly before any of that happened
1: You would have seen something quickly, an image, and then boom. Yeah, Yeah. then then the static that you get with the tape.
2: And it goes to snow. Yeah, just snow. And that's it. Oh, man, that would have been something. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was, for what it was, especially like when you, you know, knowing the budget, knowing... That it predates Blair Witch by 10 years. All of those things in my mind. And I feel like those are factors I that help with this movie for me. Uh, so for me, just uh, if you want to do uh, ratings and recommendations now, Dave, I'll just say for me, I give this thing a seven. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, um, as a matter of fact, that was the exact number I was thinking.
2: Yep. Seven out of 10. Yep.
1: Um, Where it would lose points, like I said, would be that last 15 minutes where... Th- I don't know. It crossed the line at that point. The first 45, you're like, wow. I mean, and and it's not even all of the last 15 minutes, but there are moments. Definitely the one you're talking about.
2: It goes over the top.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, it, it wouldn't be bad to pick up the DVD. It has three commentary tracks.
2: I guess we're on the same page then. So a seven out of 10 for both of us. And I mean, I'd say if you're a foul footage fan as well, owning it, is definitely worth doing so yeah.
0: the dvd is available on amazon and we have a direct link to their page if you want to buy the film from found footage critic and help them out further i
2: would highly recommend checking it, especially if you're a found footage person especially knowing it's uh, you know a, a huge contributor in a sense to the history of that subgenre. So if you're somebody who's a huge fan of it, I mean, absolutely. I feel like you should see it.
1: I mean, even, even for the history of it, even if, even if, you know, Eduardo Sanchez didn't even know this movie existed. The fact that something 10 years before Blair witch Mm -hmm. had that same formula to it, I think makes this worth seeking out.
0: And yes, Dave, we did do a top five list uh, on okay. episode 64 of Horror Movie Podcast. That was our Found Footage uh, episode. And we had an interview with Eduardo Sanchez, co-director yeah. of The Blair Witch Project, as well yeah. as Michael from foundfootgecritic.com was our guest during our theme discussion for that episode. Nice. And uh, at the end of that show, we did a top five. Now, I'm looking over my top five. I don't think it would be the same now. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I've got to look at my top five.
1: I've, I've extended it to a top 10 on the blog in my random lists page.
0: So one um, thing I've we, got to go back and look. So one thing we talked about doing is a collective top 10 list where each of the hosts submits their top 10, and then we combine those for a collective top 10. And so what I'd like to do is one week after this podcast is released, mm-hmm. as a blog post at horrormoviepodcast.com, we will put our collective top 10 Found footage horror films Yes, there. And then if listeners want to either go to the show notes for this episode or to that blog post and leave their top ten found footage films, we will select one person from either of those places to receive a DVD copy of the McPherson tape provided by POV horror and found footagecritic.com.
2: Awesome. All right, so that wraps up our feature review of UFO Abduction, a.k.a. the McPherson Tape, or uh, whatever you want to call it, from 1989. And uh, now we will go into our collector's crypt in search of darkness. All right, now
1: that we've wrapped up what I figured would be the quickest review (laughs) of the evening. Uh, puts a little more pressure on me with In Search of Darkness. Now, In Search of Darkness, uh, subtitled A Journey into Iconic 80s Horror. This was written and directed by David A. Weiner. It is a massive documentary. This runs four and a half hours long and it covers at least eight to ten films from every year of the 1980s. And Each one presented as its own section. It pops up 1980, and then some films are discussed, 1981. And as cool as these yearly reviews are, it's the bonus sequences which appear in between the years discussed that really kind of pulled me in. I'm going to give you a little history. First, I got the Blu-ray for this documentary because I contributed to a Kickstarter or maybe it was Indigo- Indiegogo. I can't remember because it was a while ago. And in the end credits, it's it listed Kickstarter donators, uh, you know, Indiegogo donators. And at the very end, it said others. And I was in the others. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell I, I don't, I, I contributed on, but it doesn't matter. Um, it was a campaign while the movie was still in production, you know, to help. I think it was a $50 donation that got me this disc. I got a poster here. I got a cool little pin, um, you know, you know, with, with, uh, an image from the poster and it got me the disc and the disc alone made it worth it. Um, there's a slew of recognizable personalities in, uh, who get interviewed, um, who are interviewed during the course of the film. I'm just going to rattle some of them. Tom Atkins, Doug Bradley, John Carpenter, the late Larry Cohen. As a matter of fact, the movie is, is partially dedicated to him at the end. Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, Sean S. Cunningham, Joe Dante, Stuart Gordon, Kane Hodder, Tom Holland, Lloyd Kaufman, Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy, Bill Moseley, Elvira, on and on and on. All of these people chime in and talk about the 80s, talk about specific titles, talk about you know, their, their memories and things of the certain section, just to give you an idea of how extensive a documentary this is. It starts off with a discussion on the climate of the 80s and how it influenced the horror films of that decade. Okay, you know, just uh, the whole start of the 1980s and and the political, the the social, the economic, everything. It then jumps into the year 1980. The first movie they cover, The Fog. Then The Changeling, Friday the 13th, The Shining. Uh, Mick Garris reminds us that The Shining did not receive positive reviews when it was first released. And then Kelly Maroney and Heather Langenkamp, just to name a few of them, sing the praises of The Shining. They weren't even in it, but they have something to say about The Shining. Dress to Kill, Motel Hell, Fade to Black, and a few others. Then we go into a segment on poster art and VHS covers and, you know, how they managed to draw potential audiences in, in video stores and, and in the marquees. And then there's a discussion on direct-to-video movies that Roger Corman and Charles Band were putting out. That is the first half hour. And yet what's really fascinating is nothing is rushed. You feel that every movie, every topic is given its due. And the fact that they did all of this in four and a half hours... I think is what's really impressive and tons of other movies are are presented as you'd expect. And the bonus segments include a look at the final girl phenomenon movie soundtracks. That was one of the most interesting ones where they're getting into the scores and everybody's favorite score from a horror movie. Um, Violence and and nudity in the eighties movies. This is a four and a half hour documentary that flies by. And that, I think, is is probably the best thing I could say about it. There's no way that when this was over, I felt as if I invested four and a half hours of my time into it. We all love 80s horror. The host here, and I know most of the listeners, this documentary is like crack for us. <laughs> it is so damn good. I strongly recommend it. I don't know if it's available. It, I'm sure it will eventually be available. They've got to open this up you know, now that um, they've sent it out to all of the investors, they sent the Blu-ray out to all of the investors. I haven't looked into it. I'm sure at some point it's going to be available, but keep an eye out for it. In Search of Darkness, you will not be disappointed. It's extensive. Even in four and a half hours, you think, oh, well, how could they do justice to the entire 80s? And there are a couple titles I was waiting for that were not discussed, but they definitely covered most of them and they go year by year. With, a, with little segments in between four and a half hours, it, it will fly by.
0: So we, I don't know if you remember this, Dave, we did press for this film and had yes. the producer of the film on the show, Robin Block. Yes. I was mad at this movie for a little while because the, these were the guys who contact us and they are like, Hey, we want you to take part in the making of this film. And I, I thought first they were asking us to be producers of some kind on it or be in the film as Ex, as experts, which they did have some people from the online horror community in the film as experts, but ultimately, what the way they wanted us to help them make the film was to give them free advertising on our podcast. It turns <laughs> out. Well,
1: I'll tell you what, though, John, as I was watching this and seeing the people who they did talk to, there are a couple people who I'm sure have podcasts you know that, yeah. that they interviewed. I think when they came to us, it was still in production,
0: and I, I get the feeling. They might have bitten
1: off more than they could chew. I don't think
0: they had shot anything yet. I heard they had just started shooting and they were compiling their team. Right. And when you talk about a four hour cut of the film, I seriously doubt that horror fans are going to want to listen to horror podcasters talk about this stuff when they could be listening to Tom Atkins. <laughs> Oh,
1: Tom Atkins, yeah. Or Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy giving their opinions. And Caroline Williams, you know, is, is in here. I was thinking of that. I was thinking of that very thing as I was watching this. And I did get the feeling that they wanted to include as much from the fandom and everything as 80s horror. And it just got too big. I mean, at four and a half hours, clearly they didn't need, as you were saying, they didn't need us. To be part of for
0: context, they didn't
1: need us for context, right? (laughs) Or for anything, (laughs) or for anything. But I don't know that it was intentionally misleading because this thing is so massive, and it really tries to get into so much that I think there might have been a genuine desire to encompass everything, including the podcasters, including the 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 community at large. But it just got to the point of. I'm sure that they were cutting segments with John Carpenter. Mm, I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were because, you know, John Carpenter appears in this, and but it might be for a total of 10 minutes, you right. know? And I can't imagine that John Carpenter only had 10 minutes to talk about when it came to 80s horror. Right. I can't imagine Joe Bob Briggs only had 10 minutes of content when it came sorry i'm knocking things over here when it You're came passionate. to um, um, my exactly my <laughs> hands are waving wildly here. um when it came to talking about this i don't know that any of these people you know that 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 sat down and, and they didn't say okay you've got five minutes go uh, i think that in the end they said look we've really got to narrow our focus here and this is how they narrowed it and I think they did a, a masterful job of doing it. As a fan of 80s horror, I can see myself revisiting this every year. And there aren't many long documentaries. The only other one I can think of is the, um, the personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American Cinema that I watch every year. That's closing in on three and a half to four hours as well. Mm. This one joins that ranks. I mean, I can watch this again and again and again because it's, it's people who aren't even in the movies saying what those movies meant to them. And I'm talking like Heather Langenkamp, like I said, and Kelly Maroney talking about The Shining.
0: Yeah. And they are making a second film right now about 80s sci-fi called In Search of Tomorrow. Oh, nice. Same producer, Robin Block. And they, they're they bringing back the director. They hired David A. Weiner, is it? Yes. Um, Weiner Weiner. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. He was the editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland for two years. and wow. Among his... Uh, credits i guess he was also worked for entertainment tonight for many years as a writer but he's a rondo award winner himself uh for best interview with mel brooks about young frankenstein so that's awesome
2: yeah yeah this is a heck of a list i'm looking through this i love that i saw mark showstrom the the uh, the effects guy from (laughs) evil dead 2 i always loved that guy but that's amazing
1: there's a lot and this they they even have like they even have clips of ebert and and siskel Talking about some of these movies, they have All positive, behind- I'm sure. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say they sometimes cut before it gets negative.
2: Okay, okay. Um,
1: but and they also have behind the scenes of Tom Savini putting effects together.
3: Nice.
1: And there's plenty of behind the scenes footage and discussion on on these movies as well. I, I think if you had sat down and wrote out what would I like to see in a documentary about 1980s horror. This movie gives you more than you could have written out. And I'm talking to diehard fans. Again, four and a half hours, you get a lot. And you, they even talk about some titles. You're like, geez, I don't even know if I, I, did I see that one? This for me is the perfect documentary
2: on 80s horror. It sounds very comprehensive. Like it just sounds. Uh,
1: there's no doubt. There's no doubt it's it's comprehensive. And, and some people are going to say, well, they missed this title. They didn't talk to this person. Yes, but I can't see any fan of 80s horror walking away from this documentary disappointed. I mean, I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. Hmm. And I might even go to a 9.5 the next time I watch it. If you get a chance, keep an eye out. Even if you can't watch it now, check back weekly to when you can see <laughs> In Search of Darkness.
0: You, you can actually subscribe to their newsletter and they'll let you know when it's when available. It's oh, available. good. Absolutely, I'm doing then, that then do at, literally
2: that. as we talk, because I did not get a copy. My friend uh, Terry did like you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I assume he's seen it by now, um, but I did not have the good fortune of getting in on that early enough. And uh, I am I'm putting myself on their list. So a nine out of 10 and uh, say it's a low priority rental. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I, I'm, I'm saying when this becomes available, definitely pick it up. You literally um, said,
0: "Check back weekly to find out if it's available." <laughs> okay,
1: <laughs> and I'm telling, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Check back weekly, and and and, and don't let a week go by, you know, because uh, this is one, this is one you're going to want to see.
3: Yeah, very. And cool. even
1: if you're just learning about uh, '80s horror and and the the history of horror and everything, even if you're like like a fan of modern horror and you're thinking, oh, let me go back to the '80s. Start with this documentary. This is like
0: a history and a lesson Mm. in 80s horror. On the director's IMDb page, there's a quote from him where he says he considers himself a curator of nostalgia or something like that. And I thought, Mm -hmm. it certainly worked on Dave. (laughs) Oh, yes. Absolutely. That's awesome.
2: All right. So that wraps up what was a robust collector's crypt, not quite as robust <laughs> as the feature review. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but uh we uh, have now covered uh, collector's crypt in search of darkness and now we're going to move into our shutter sponsored screaming online segment.
0: Welcome to Screaming Online. This week, again, we are sponsored by Shudder. AMC Network Shudder is a premium streaming video service with an ever-expanding library of horror and thriller television series and films. You can stream it all for $5.99 a month or $56.99 per year. A great deal if you want to stream classics or new releases to your Apple, Android devices, as well as Xbox, Google Chrome, Roku, Amazon Fire, and more. And on the DL, if you want to try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and our promo code H-M-P, Horror Movie Podcast. Now, we are going to hear a review of a film that Dave saw on Shudder this
1: week. All right. Uh, looking over Shudder, I noticed that they have uh, several movies that they've added recently, and one of which is... The 2015 film Howl basic premise is that uh, it's it's set in England and a ticket taker played by Ed Speleers. he has to work an extra shift. So he's working a, a night, uh, almost like I guess what would be a red eye sort of uh, train ride out of London to a few uh, destinations, a few stops, obviously not going to be many people on this train. You know the passengers on this train they're 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 kind of nasty. it's it's late at night, everybody's in a in a kind of a bad mood. As the train is going through a wooded area, it hits something and they have to stop uh, because the train has been damaged. Uh, the driver gets out to check it out. you know who's walking the tracks here at night and never comes back. Well, there's a reason he never came back. Uh, This uh, forest that they've broken down in has a werewolf roaming. And he's on the prowl and he's hungry. Isn't long before the passengers decide, you know, they're, they're stranded. They don't know if the driver's coming back. So they decide, hey, let's just walk. Let's walk to the next station. How far can it be? They get out. They walk. They see something. They hear something. They run back to the train and that's when all hell starts to break loose. I think one of the things I really enjoyed about this film was the setting, I, you know, uh, sort of on this train, and you, you don't really think of a train as being this, you know, like like in a plane. If you're up, up in the air in a plane, you can't go anywhere. There's something about when when you're on a train, you think, okay, well, you're going to be pretty safe. You can always get off the train. You can always walk around. You can always, you know, do but yet, yet this movie i think manages to build the tension to a point that you're like wow these people really are kind of trapped on this train in, in, in the middle of the woods here at night and and it doesn't look like help's coming i mean how do you get help to a train <laughs> other than another train or somebody riding out there into the middle of these woods and and, and looking for them and again it's it's like after midnight The cast is good. Uh, Shauna McDonald is in this, who was the lead in The Descent. Uh, Plays a supporting role as one of the less than happy passengers. Um, And even has, with a quick cameo, it is uh, Sean Pertwee. Plays the driver of the train who was in Dog Soldiers. Another great uh, werewolf film and and other, other movies as well. I know he was also in Wilderness... Uh, Sean Pertwee's well, been in a few, a uh, few pretty good movies. He's a good actor. The collection of characters, though, is an interesting one because you get your typical douchebags, you get your just, you know, miserable people, but you get some also that kind of evolve beyond that. You know, there are ones that just kind of stay douchebags, and other ones that st- start to, you know, there is sort of a camaraderie and that uh, and and. Uh, the fear brings them together, obviously, but it's a little bit more than that. You do get them sort of looking out for each other and you buy it. That's the thing. I think you you buy it. It doesn't seem forced. It just sort of flows in a way that you you really do believe these people are sort of coming together, most of them. You, You do see the creatures eventually. And yes, it's sort of CGI, but I'm pretty sure there's some practical effects in there as well. And it is frightening you know when when you see this this uh this werewolf that that's been attacking them because it's, it's an interesting look to it it's not what you would typically expect you know it's it's more well i don't want to give too much i don't want to give too much away it's just not what you think of when you think werewolf
2: well real quick dave i i will say that it has been a while since i've seen this movie so i definitely uh am, am glad that you were uh, able to catch it on shutter and mm-hmm reviewing it in depth, but I think I saw this shortly after it came out, at least on VOD. Right. And I do re- the the main thing I do remember besides really and liking the claustrophobic setting of the train mm-hmm. was I remember liking the design of the werewolves. Cause as I recall, it is more of a wolf man type vibe yes. as opposed yes. to your tri you know, you know, the the, the lycanthropy that turns into just the full on wolf which I'm fine right. with too, a la American World of London, but I do like this. I like it when you can see a lot more of the human features in there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's overrun by the animal. So I yeah, I definitely like the design. It's really cool. And like I said, I was shocked when I
1: first saw it. I was like, whoa, that's kind of interesting, you know, the way that, that, that it looks. And it, what you're saying, yeah, it's absolutely true. It is more, not more man, but enough man in there. I think to at least make it unique. I really did like it. It was directed by uh, Paul Hyatt and I think he did a, a really good job of building building the tension, uh, doing it through the characters and doing it actually through the setting as well. Because there are times you're like, man, they got to get out of this. They got to get out of where they are right now. You know, um, I really like that. I, I really like that aspect of it. That it sort of took something that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting it to be quite as frightening a setting, and then turning it around and saying, yeah, these people are
2: really kind of screwed. <laughs> Did you ever see The Convent? Because that was another movie directed by Paul Hyatt from 2018. I did not. Yeah, I just, uh, I was looking, he only has four credits. And again, pulling this purely from memory, I remember Howell being uh, a pretty uh, impressive endeavor, especially since I know he had done one prior to that in 2012, but uh, it appears that he has four directed credits. It seems like his primary bread and butter is in uh, makeup. That seems I, be- I'm
1: seeing that now, and I see he did the makeup for for Doomsday and the Descent, yeah, uh, and Attack the Block. Wow, yeah, that's that's really impressive.
2: I would be shocked if if it wasn't a decent amount of practical that was in. And I that, again, I seem to remember. I know that there was some CGI, but. <laughs>
1: I think there was, but I think there was, uh, you know, there was plenty of practical too. And you're right with it, with his background in makeup, um, you would think that it would be mostly practical. I almost want to go back and watch it again. It's one that I really enjoyed and I want to go back and see it again, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to, like I said, I, I I didn't get time to do it before we uh, recorded this, but uh, the fact that it is on Shutter and I do have a subscription, I am planning on doing that. Um, but I will say if we're to believe the trivia... On Animdaba. it says the werewolves were played by people in prosthetic suits, with the exception of the legs, which were done as CGI in post production. So that's yes. kind of, that's cool.
1: Yes, yeah. and you know what? The legs were one of the coolest things about them. Yeah. So that's that's pretty interesting.
2: And that, that's, that's, in my opinion, that's how you do it. It's the integration of the two things that oftentimes right. works the strongest. You mm-hmm. know, so that's uh, that's very cool.
1: Yeah. Anyway, this is one I definitely recommend you check out on Shutter. I would give it an 8 out of 10 and um, definitely stream it and, uh, you know, let us know what you think. But I really enjoyed this one quite a bit. I mean, and I've been watching quite a few werewolf movies recently. Um, On Land of the Creeps, we have a, a werewolf themed episode coming up. So I've been seeing a lot of newer ones and some good ones and some not so good ones. But this is definitely towards the top of the movies that I checked out. And I was really uh, not surprised because I've heard some good things about it. Uh, I was surprised by by the setting, like I said. But um, I was really impressed.
2: Excellent.
0: So if you want to watch Howl or get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content, Shudder's expertly curated collection includes titles like the acclaimed Tigers Are Not Afraid, one of my top 10, One Cut of the Dead, one of my top 10, revenge one of my top 10 the year before and the acclaimed creep show tv series produced by greg nicotero himself to try shutter free for 30 days go to shutter.com and use the promo code hmp that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r.com and the promo code h-m-p it costs you nothing you'll get a free 30 days of shutter with no strings attached and you'll be helping us out a lot
2: All right, thank you very much, Dave. So that wraps up our shudder sponsored Screaming Online segment, and now we will go into our micro reviews. First up, The Furies.
0: Yeah, The Furies is a strange little film. I saw it on Shutter when I was binging to see movies for my top ten list, and I liked it okay. Like, I, you know, I didn't love it; it didn't knock me out, but it was a lot of fun. It's a game movie. So it's one of those films where we're going to play a little game here essentially. And it starts out with two women who are friends but having a dispute and they're arguing with e- with each other late at night on the street and they walk their separate ways home and they're both immediately kidnapped essentially. And then one of them wakes up in a box in the middle of a field in the middle of a forest. And she has no idea what's going on, what's happened to her, why she's there. And I'll read the IMDB synopsis. It says, a woman is kidnapped and finds herself an unwilling participant in a deadly game where women are hunted by masked men. And yeah, the kind of little, cute twist they put on it is there are beauties and there are beasts uh, loose in this forest. And so the beauties are trying to evade the beasts and there are little additional rules they throw in to switch things up and surprise you. But that's essentially what it is. And it has kind of like a weird, digital age vibe to it to some degree where you know like everyone's being watched on close circuit cameras and we're seeing uh you know things from the camera's point of view oftentimes and there's like digital glitches but if you take strip that away from it it really is just women running through these woods being chased by a mass killer and for people who like that kind of film it's fun i would say tonally it's kind of like if you took the comedy out of hatchet is what it feels like to me. Like it feels like the horror elements of the hatchet series without the comedic elements of the hatchet series. And uh, it was fun. I I think uh, slasher fans will enjoy themselves. It's a minor entry for me. It didn't get close to making my top 10 list, but I know some listeners had on their lists and I don't begrudge them that at all. I thought it was watchable. What about you, Dave? Uh, It didn't make my
1: top 10 either, obviously, uh, or my honorable mentions, but I'm right there with you. I thought it was, it was interesting. At first I was, it was reminding me of a 2006 indie film called Broken, Hmm. uh, which, which is a woman, um, a, a single mom returning home from a date. Uh, kisses her daughter goodnight, then heads off to bed, but when she wakes the next morning, she's not in her bedroom. She's in the middle of a forest, locked in a coffin-like crate with blood all over her clothes. She had been abducted by this mysterious man who seems intent on keeping her as his prisoner. Now, this movie goes in different directions, but that's what I was thinking of when I first saw this film, is that 2006 movie, Broken. One of the things that I really liked about it was one of the twists, and I don't want to get too deep into it. Yeah, uh, but you mentioned at the end, the relationship between the beauty and the beasts. Yeah, you know, I thought
0: that was interesting. That's I the thought, best. Stuff. Wow,
1: there, that, that
0: yeah. There are a couple of twists related to that that I think make it better. Yeah, absolutely. But
1: it kept my interest. Again, it didn't make it didn't make my top ten, but it's one I would recommend. I think it's something that. Um, uh uh, horror fans will
2: enjoy i'm glad you both seem to like it because i actually really wanted to see this one before i did my top 10 Mm -hmm. but i you know we only had so much time and you do what you got to do uh and it ended up getting (laughs) knocked down the list but i really wanted to see this one
1: i don't think think so either i I didn't make ours and i don't think it would have made yours either joel okay um but i think it is worth uh it's worth checking out absolutely I I would
0: give that one a six and I call it a low priority rental personally.
1: I'd give it a little more. I'd give it probably a 6.5 closing in on a seven. And I just say a rental.
0: I think it's worth saying. And again, that is streaming on shutter.
2: All right. So next up we have head count. Head count listed here
1: is 2018. I did watch it for 2019 because I think it was released in the U S in 2019. A group of college students on a weekend getaway accidentally summon a supernatural entity intent on using them for its deadly ritual. This is the IMDB synopsis. A bit simplistic. (laughs) Uh, It's been a few months since I've seen the movie, but I'm thinking there's a lot more to it than just that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really about this college student who goes to visit his, I don't want to say hippie brother <laughs> but that sort of mentality that
2: very sort of naturalistic he's a dude who's on a bit of a like a personal meditation
1: yeah the, sort the of- type of guy who you'd see sitting in the desert looking up at the stars yes uh, for all night. you know one of those and he's not too excited to be with his brother Not that he doesn't care for his brother it's just you know he's looking for something different and he sees these this group of people up on a, on a hilltop. And he decides to sort of mingle with him because he's, he's attracted to one of the, one of the girls. And sure enough, he becomes part of this group. His, he leaves his brother behind and joins them at this house. Um, but yes, something had been summoned this, uh, this evil sort of spirit or presence or something had been summoned. And, What's interesting is that it can manifest itself to look like one of them. There's a really cool scene where there's a group of people in a room playing a game. And I'm not going to go into what happens. But wow, is Mm -hmm. it jarring. Mm -hmm. That was, for me, the moment where this movie really took off. Not that it didn't capture me before that, but that moment, Yes. from that moment on... I was into it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Now, now this is, now this is really getting exciting. And I think that might be the halfway point or something. Again, what led up to that is not bad. It's just, that's the moment where you're like, okay, now it's on. And it was on. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, there were moments in this movie, you know, I'd heard, rumblings about it i didn't know a ton about it going into it i'd heard i knew some people had really liked it a lot um Mm -hmm. i knew it was a bit of a slow burn i believe is it the director's debut three director credits and
1: um this is her first feature this was her first feature happy death day short
2: yeah but i don't think that has any relation to uh (laughs) let's
1: pray not
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, I I don't know. Maybe it was the shirt that that was based on. I don't know. So
1: anyway. uh, maybe. And you know what? And, and again, I'm I'm joke. I I I know a lot of a lot of our listeners really liked Happy Death yeah. Day, and I'm I'm just I'm just busting. But Headcount is the feature debut. Yeah. It looks like Witch Hunt is the the follow up that's in post production uh, as we speak.
2: Yes, and I and I will say that one of the things that I thought was interesting about this too is it does tap into that whole creepy pasta thing, which I don't know how familiar you guys are. With that, I'm only mm. as as a 44 year old man only like incidentally <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, familiar with it. But you know the, the gist of it being sort of you know it's it's urban legends. It's uh, which I've always been fascinated by. I remember you know reading Snopes back in the the 90s and 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 just always I was just always fascinated by urban legend and just that idea of of these things that uh, they as ideas and how they can get inside a culture and, and affect people and how young people tend to, you know, have these different stories. I mean, obviously all of us growing up in the eighties and I mean, probably well, well beyond that did bloody Mary into the mirror. And I, I feel like this does that real in an interesting way, uh, yeah. without giving anything, cause I don't want to give anything away. I feel like this is a fun movie to go in without understanding or knowing, um, what's going to happen, but exactly. Th- let's just say that if you're familiar with creepy pasta and the idea of these stories, you know, online like the slender man and uh jeff the killer and just all those kinds of things mm-hmm. it's it's a more subdued version of that i guess you could say but but it's done in such a way like the, the way this entity uh it integrates itself into the situation it's very subtle and in, in a way that makes it scarier because you know you just have it's like if you were to happen to get a text and read it out loud and you don't and you just conjured up some demon it's not like it's not that simple but it's sort of like Mm -hmm. the sense that if you 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 could just very easily bring something into existence that you would severely regret but you know there's just a (laughs) lot of really good moments like i I, there's a moment with the jacuzzi where you think you see something but you're like you're straight it's one of those where you're literally like leaning forward like squinting like Mm-hmm. What I is that what I think? I You know, it just sort of builds and builds.
1: And it's, you know, you say slow burn, but I don't know that the second half of the movie is so much a slow burn. The, it's a slow build up.
2: Maybe that's a better a word. A slow build up. Yes. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a slow build up. But once it hits that, it takes off running at yeah. that point. And it's interesting. I'm looking at the director now, uh, L. Callahan. Her other credits are, working in editorial department and visual effects for such movies as DC's Wonder Woman, Krampus, and Avengers Age of Ultron. Hmm. Cool. So she took all her experience on that and turned around and made uh, her directorial debut with Headcount.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is just a very effective, low-key, but highly engaging horror thriller. Like, it's- Right. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and I think, you know, it actually came really close to making my honorable mentions. But then again, Godzilla should have as well. We won't go there right now. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but it didn't. However, I did like it quite a bit. In fact, I think I yeah. I, I apologize. But I, someone on the uh, comment boards on the site actually brought this movie up and i believe it was a i
0: chuck loaf oh it was it was loaf. okay thank
2: you very much josh yeah and uh, and brought this up and i believe i commented back that you know it it was close for me because i i liked it i really really did so um i was i was very pleasantly surprised by headcount
0: that particular listener who is from the 1200 Films podcast, uh, Chuck Loaf, had a headcount at number seven. And other listeners also had the film ranked as well because it came in ranked 39 hmm. uh, on the listeners list out of nice. 57. Now, there were a lot more individual films, but many of them tied in terms of the number of points that they got. So within the rankings, uh, headcount came in 39. I will also mention, as I'm here looking at the list, The Furies came in on the listener list at number 30, tied with The Dead Don't Die. Oh, oh, nice. Very cool. All right. And you know, it's
1: interesting, uh, because now uh, El Callahan is sort of on my radar, and I looked up Witch Hunt, which is still showing as um, post-production now, and a quick synopsis from IMDb, in a modern America where witches are real and witchcraft is illegal, a sheltered teenager must face her own demons and prejudices as she helps two young witches avoid law enforcement and cross the southern border to asylum in Mexico. Hmm. Interesting. So, at, and that that looks as if if it's in post production as of July 2019, we could see this movie this year.
3: Yeah. Very. This cool.
1: could this uh, could come out this year and. I was impressed enough with head count to want to see him because this one she wrote and directed Elle Callahan wrote and directed witch hunt, where she just come up with the story for head count and someone else wrote the screenplay. She wrote and directed this one and it's listed as a fantasy horror thriller. I am looking forward to this yeah, uh, as quite a I. bit.
2: That's very cool. So what's your rating and recommendation?
1: I'm going to say 7.5, definitely a rental. Um, uh, worth seeing, and it is available on DVD on Amazon for only thirteen ninety nine right now. It's not on Blu ray. It's not available on Blu ray. It's only DVD, but at a very reasonable price.
2: Well, Dave, apparently you and I are totally simpatico because I have a seven point five as well, a- as well <laughs> as a rental. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is on Netflix. I think that is where I saw it. I, I that, I'm pretty sure that's where I saw it as well. Okay, yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. So that is Head Count. And next up, The Human Race from 2013. And I'm not going to say a ton about this movie, um, but I am going to add a marginal disclaimer. We had one of the stars on Retro Movie Geek, and I actually told her that I was going to be reviewing this, or hoping to, uh, for our upcoming HMP episode, and that I uh, kind of hinted at the direction I was going with said review uh her name is trista robinson by the way a uh, really fantastic person really really cool and she plays one of the key characters in this and her character in the human race is in fact deaf and i just thought she did a standout and stellar job and as i told her i was not telling her that to blow smoke i was legit because had i not thought that i just would have been like oh it was lovely and just left it at that uh but it was really a great performance i thought and honestly this movie surprised the heck out of me have either of you seen this no
0: Yeah, I was just trying to figure out what film it was exactly. But yeah, no, 2013, no. Okay. And I didn't even,
2: I don't think I had heard of it until we found out that she was going to get on the show. And my friend Hammond is the one that connected uh, her to us. And so, you know, he told me about her and I said she was you know a big horror fan and loved making horror movies and we should have her on the show and blah, blah, blah. So I looked up a couple of her movies and uh, this sounds interesting. So basically the gist of it is about 80 people are literally ripped out of their daily lives i'm talking like twilight zone you're walking down the street flash a white light you're suddenly in this space where you're on like a sidewalk with 80 strangers uh, other than maybe one other person you know uh, that happened to be standing next to you and you're having to run a race and you hear a voice in your head and the voice in your head is in your language so like throughout the movie we hear what other people can hear. It's like an announcer is saying things. And if they're someone from Russia, which I don't even remember if there is anybody or somebody from Japan, it's like, that's the voice that you, we, the audience are also hearing. So they hearing this voice as announcer, and it tells them that they are part of a race and there are certain rules. And if they break those rules, they die period. And this movie is social horror. I mean, it is, it is sort of a, take the darkest episode of walking dead, remove the zombies. And that's basically what (laughs) what this movie is uh, with just the level of just like the, the, how people can go and just get worse and worse and worse to each other. Now there are heroes. There are people who step up and, and do the right thing, but there are a whole lot of people who don't. And to say that this movie gets, really freaking dark at a couple points is like a massive understatement. I'm like, are they about to go? Oh, whoa. Okay. Because I think even if you see the trailer, you'll see this, the the um, penalty for doing things like step, you know, stepping on the grass or there's like a couple of different safe zones. There's a prison, a school and a house. And so when you get to this, you can stay, stay there. You could stay there as long as you want technically, but, Every other place in this track, for lack of a better way of putting it, you have to keep going. And if you get lapped, I believe it's twice you die. So you can stay there, but you got to keep somebody from lapping you. And so it's got like these rules. and, And it reminded me of a little bit of the movie Cube, you know, where it's sort of like characters find themselves in this really weird alien almost type environment right. I it, it, the, the world that they're in is not alien it looks just kind of almost right. like uh it looks like the regular world but it's got that mm-hmm. same sense where they're you know Some it,
0: little hunger games or yes, running man yes yes right, it's got right. and,
2: and like those movies and and stories it has that social aspect to it that you know it's it's just really about people uh kind of going against each other and you know what's the 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 right thing to do in these situations and and so but what was really interesting too is how i really one things i really liked about it is it had a lot of people that a lot of the main characters are people with disabilities in fact i believe the star well one of the male stars of it i want to make sure yeah eddie mcgee i believe he actually is a amputee he has one, he has one leg. So, um, and they incorporate that into the story because uh, when you first meet him, he's in Afghanistan, I think they're Afghanistan. Um, and so he's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Cause there's some moments there where he like opens a can of, of whoop butt, like <laughs> it's great. And so, but his character was interesting. Uh, Trista's character, uh, was very interesting because she and the guy that kind of get zapped with her um, they're both hearing impaired. And so they can only speak through sign language and, and they, but they're hearing that voice, which of course is affecting them because right. As, Mm -hmm. as people who have never heard anything their entire lives, it's, it's that mix of, okay, this is amazing. I'm hearing something, but at the same time, I, this is horrific. I don't want to die. So um, it's got a lot of just interesting ideas, but I, I don't think I said this yet. The way you die is your head explodes. So it is straight Ooh. up like Scanners, like and there and it doesn't. You
1: well, know, how, you know or, or even like battle royale. Yeah, it has it has a, it has a, a little yeah. bit of that
2: too. It Has a little bit of that. Yeah. Now, look, it's a very low budget movie. Um, uh, you you could tell this is like I, I believe that, uh, as Trista put it, she knows the director. I I think it is. Uh, uh, I want to say I know Paul Huff is the guy who wrote and directed it. I feel like it was like some family members were involved in the making of it, uh, as I recall. And so it's just it is a very low budget movie. And honestly, the head's exploding. I'm I'm guessing they did some CGI kind of bloodhead, you know, head blowing up. But there were plenty of times it looked really good to me. So if it was CGI, I was like, OK, well, it looked good, so I don't care. Um, but at the same time, it could have been practical as well. Like, I mean, it was hard to tell, which is obviously a very good sign. Um it, it, like I said, not perfect, low budget, but highly enjoyable. Really freaking dark. I mean, you got all kinds of people. Uh, you've got um, old people with walkers and pregnant people, and you've got you got all kinds of people. And let's just say it's dark. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it's. Uh, it, but it's yeah. I think it, movies like Battle Royale, Hunger Games, all, Cube, all those come to mind. So if you like those kind of like survive which i guess in a way the furies because you said that's sort of like a game type of type of uh movie as well right josh yeah yeah it's that same sort of thing like you know you're fighting to stay alive but at, at the end of the day it's it's like okay if you would also be willing to work together maybe you guys could figure this out now you know it's got a few twists and turns and it goes in some interesting directions that some people may not like i did i did like where it kind of ends up and goes with the sort of the reveals that they, they do explain Ultimately, to some degree, why things are happening the way they are. Uh, but it is it feels very much like a really super duper dark episode of the Twilight Zone. So um, that is a movie that for me, I give a really solid 7.5 to I say you absolutely should rent it. Check it out. Um, it's a fun movie. You know, for as far as as <laughs> it is, it's a bloody good time. Let's put it that way. So that's the human race from 2013. Very nice. All right. Awesome. We've got Vampire Cleanup Department headed by one Josh Legary.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, I would love, I mean, that's kind of like my dream to head a Vampire Cleanup Department. (laughs) But unfortunately, no, I just saw the film. Um, So this is in the Chinese, the Hong Kong film, really, tradition of the Jiangxi. Are you guys familiar with that? It's the, the Hopping the Vampire. Hop- I was going to say, is that the Hopping oh. Vampire?
2: Yes, I have heard of that. Yeah.
0: Yes. So the Hopping Vampire or Zombie, it can take that form. They're, they're essentially the Hopping Undead. So what you have here is a monster that is undead. In this case, clearly a vampire. Um, but it's a bit zombie-like and in the sense that it doesn't really seem to have any other motivation other to kill and eat. It doesn't speak, you know, it's not, it's not the humanistic vampire. It's definitely the feral vampire variety. Oh, come on. You've won Sorry. something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Apolo- my apologies. <laughs> Sci-fi, it's the sci-fi podcast, guys. Um, of course,
1: I thought it was. I thought it was an alert, maybe uh, from the vampire cleanup. <laughs>
0: <They're> like, <laughs> had a, uh- Josh, we have a
2: we have a mess on aisle twelve. Could you? Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're of the feral vampire variety, and they look just like a bloody, messy vampire. But then they kind of hop toward you like the Easter bunny, arms out like Frankenstein's monster. So if you've never seen it. It's weird, uh, but it's a whole thing. There, there was a whole slew of films like this in the eighties. Uh, they're all Hong Kong films. The Mister Vampire franchise or saga is probably the best yes, known. Yes, I've heard of that. Of yes. those films, uh, Mister Vampire was a big deal. It was the kind of the breakout film for the subgenre, and this is kind of a throwback to that era, I guess. So for fans of the Jiangshi. Mr. Vampire Films, you'll enjoy this. It brings back a few key actors from those movies uh, in smaller side roles here. Um, it's silly. It's very goofy film. I would say I can most closely relate it to something like Mama Mon Monsters that we talked about a few years ago, which was also another Hong Kong film. But this one is even more just kind of a comedic romance than it is a horror film as I've talked about the vampires, you get the sense that they're not too intimidating. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there are some cool things here. Um, some of the, the ways that they kill the vampires, the weapons that they use are really cool. Kind of like martial arts esque weapons, which I typically wouldn't like in a vampire hunter film, but because we're in China and and it's a Hong Kong picture, it's perfect. You know, it's like what you want out of a Hong Kong film. So it, it's pretty fun. Um, in the uh, IMDb synopsis, it says, Tim joins the vampire cleanup department, which is a secret task force for dealing with vampires. He's instructed by his uncle Chow, and he saves a female, Gyeongsi, Summer, from her evil lord who is buried alive with her. So basically this young guy is walking down the alley one night. He sees an old man being attacked. He tries to intervene, falls, is hurt, is bitten by a vampire, and then finds himself... Awakened uh, in his bed by his uncles and his grandmother, who basically say vampires are real. You have an immunity to them, and we want you to join this vampire cleanup department, <laughs> 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 which essentially functions as like a municipal department at the city. Like it's it's like basically like they're trash collectors, but they happen to clean up vampires. His uncles want to work with him because his parents died while doing this line of work and his mother was bitten while she was still pregnant. And so he himself has some sort of vampire hybrid human hybrid and is become immune to the vampire bite. And so he becomes a valuable ally for them. And so he goes and trains with his uncles at the, uh, at their office and soon finds himself Falling in love with a young vampire who he's meant to incinerate, and he hides her from the other vampire cleanup crew, and and believes that she can be turned to good because she herself is a hybrid like him. Again, most of the movie is just this really cutesy, awkward indie rom com <laughs> <laughs> with a girl who hops around and doesn't speak and eats blood pudding. <laughs> 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 and then there's some really fun hong kong action gore scenes at the very beginning at the very end so it's a pretty low priority i would say for 99 percent of horror audiences out there i think it's pretty safe for kids like you could show this i think to like a 12 year old no big deal um you know it's kind of oh I guess a little gory but it's mostly safe I would say the things that it really has going for it is just its love of what it's doing it's so committed to this silly idea and it looks amazing like the cinematography is so beautiful mostly because the lighting and the sets are just gorgeous mm-hmm. and it's just a really rich environment and there it has that has a very fun tone that a lot of Asian cinema has that um that we don't have here necessarily, and especially that kind of energetic Hong Kong vibe uh is is fun to watch. So yeah, I mean I enjoyed it. It's it's a really slapdash it's really slap stash storytelling and there are things that just feel lazy. Like they just essentially it completely rip off the theme music from the second Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes film. It's the exact same song, <laughs> like exact same title sequence style. Like you can tell they just saw that. They're like, "Cool, let's use that exact song and animation and make our own movie look exactly like that." I love how random
2: that is, though. I mean, it's this is so weird.
0: <laughs> it doesn't. It so doesn't even seem so- to fit. Well, it fits how random the movie is. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say, for most people, this is going to be an avoid. But if what I described to you sounds fun, you may well enjoy it. I think, objectively, I mean, you could call it like an eight, or you know, based on the quality of the performances. And for, if, for in terms of accomplishing what it's trying to accomplish, but the screenwriting is really lazy, like extremely lazy, and it's just a very silly, goofy film. So I, I am probably going to give it a six, and I am going to call it a low-priority rental for anyone who isn't familiar with or isn't interested in getting into <laughs> Chinese hopping vampire films.
2: Yeah, I've always wanted to see Hmm. Mr. Vampire. I never saw it I always wanted to see it because I remember reading quite a bit about it.
0: I mean, this is an easy one to try out because it is streaming on Amazon Prime uh, if you have a subscription for free. So you can check it out there and you can see if you like it. And if you do, definitely delve into the hopping Vampire subgenre. I love this kind of thing. I love seeing a monster used in a way that we just don't get in the Mm -hmm. united states it's just a very exciting thing for me because i'm so in love with monsters generally and i'm so used to our depictions of them it's very fresh Mm -hmm. most people are not going to like this though i'll just i'm just gonna say you'll i feel like you know already if you're gonna like this okay (laughs) i feel like from hearing the review you know whether or not you're willing to give it a chance and i will say of those who give it a chance probably 60 percent will enjoy it
2: yeah but i i refer you back to the chill factor (laughs) (laughs) where you have this this uncanny ability to be
0: like, I don't think Josh loves, but he's making this sound kind of awesome. Yeah. I think the description of this one sounds a lot more fun than it was for me personally. Gotcha. It's just a lot of cliches thrown together. It's there's karate kid thrown in there. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's fun. Like it, (laughs) you know, if you've got it, that's the other thing. It's a really short, so, if you've got like an hour to kill, it's an oh, it's an hour and thirty-three minutes. I swear it was shorter on Prime. <laughs> it felt like it was like an hour long, maybe wow. like an hour and like two minutes or something. Wow! But um, if you got a little time to kill and you want to see something absurd, this would be a good one for Chinese New Year. Has that happened yet? <laughs> I believe it did. I, well,
2: I it was yeah. in the process, right? Because that's the whole. It was not the coronavirus messed up a lot of the festivities, oh, and yeah, right, right.
0: Yeah. Well. The yeah. reason to celebrate and watch this was some, this would be a, definitely one to watch with friends. Although again, the romance. So maybe if you have a significant other,
2: <laughs> uh, that, it's a Valentine's day movie. I, it, yeah.
1: So in other words, sit there with your significant other and surround yourself with friends.
0: <laughs> if you, if you have a significant other who if likes into that kind of thing, right, right. be horror do you all enjoy this movie as a as no, a couple oh, so what you're saying is that dave and
2: i will love it is, is that where we're going with this is this oh,
1: we, we will love it and i know my wife will hate it yeah, okay yeah
2: and I, and my wife will just roll her eyes and be like whatever joel okay right <laughs> all right so then that wraps up our micro reviews uh, as well and i guess that actually does
0: it wrap up this episode it does wow. a lot longer than I was hoping for, but you know, it's it's
2: longer than I was hoping for, but we are coming in exactly what we had discussed. All right, so that wraps everything up. Before we go, though, I do want to say a quick a shout out to my good friend Tyson Hanks. He is a horror author. Uh, I've actually read his work; it is fantastic. You can check him out. I know he's on Amazon, and he he's got his uh, his website as well. But more immediately and for our listeners especially if you're a, also a fan of horror literature Tyson has a brand new podcast he just released the first episode it's called Scary Stories to Review in the Dark I love that title by the way I think that's fantastic and mm-hmm. it's short I think they're like 10ish minute episodes they're very concise really well put together uh, I don't you know I think the first episode he Covers uh, uh, Stephen King aka Richard Bachman's Rage from 1977 and a Clyde Barker short story and he's going to cover all kinds of stuff in the realm of horror literature so if that is your bag you should absolutely check it out I know it's on uh, Apple Podcasts I guess Stitcher maybe some other uh, places as well but definitely it's on Apple Podcasts so check it out Uh, the scary stories to review in the dark
0: awesome sounds cool
2: yeah yeah it really is he did a really good job with it definitely worth checking out Awesome.
1: All right. Looking at uh, iTunes, um, we have uh, I wanted to see if we had over uh, 300 five star reviews because I knew we were closing in on it from the last time I checked. And we actually have 306 five star reviews right now. That's cool. That's awesome. So thank you very much for that. And it's uh, it's uh, 316 reviews of four stars or more that would make it so that's 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 great
0: yeah well i saw something on twitter i don't want to get too excited just in case because you never know with these sorts of things but horror movie podcast was followed by guar this last week really oh yeah and so i thought well that's cool but you know a lot of these big accounts they just follow like thousands and thousands of people and you know i went and checked out guar's page guar follows 68 people Wow. And has 27,000 followers. So there's a good chance with only following 68 people that they might actually listen to the show, which is so cool. That is awesome. I know we mentioned them on the heavy metal horror episode, but uh, whether they heard that or not, if, if you were listening, Guar uh, welcome scum yeah. dogs of the universe. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I did have just one quick thing to oh, mention that we, we now do have a horror movie podcast. I'm going to say store front on Amazon. We are now Amazon affiliates, uh, the horror movie podcast. So what we're going to do is for some of our back episodes, we're going to go out and we're going to put links on there to purchase some of the movies we discussed and hopefully going forward we will have links to purchase the movies we discussed now that's on dvd and blu-ray but also streaming Uh, and it will help the podcast it won't cost you an extra dime if you're buying on amazon anyway uh, it's going to be the exact same price it's just we're going to get a percentage of it and it's going to help the show uh, quite a bit and uh, the first episode i was going to go back to was the one we did uh, oh, just a few episodes ago when we were looking at a lot of 2019 films. I think it was 28 different titles. So uh, keep an eye out for those. Like I said, it helps the show and it doesn't cost you an extra dime. If you're already buying these things or you plan to buy them on Amazon, just uh, do it through this link and uh,
2: and help us out. Thank you to Dave. We had been talking about doing this for a while, and I know, Dave, you kind of set that in motion.
1: It's just time to do it, and, and it, it, like you say, it should have probably been done before, but, well, better late than never, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Why not? Better late than never. That that should be our new
0: slogan. <laughs> I think it's, it's been our, our unofficial own. slogan for a long time. <laughs> yes, it, pro- it has been.
1: Horror Movie Podcast. Better late than never. Fill in the blank for whatever topic you happen to be
2: talking about. <laughs> Better late than never. <laughs> uh. We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. Be sure to follow Wolfman Josh on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts wolfman also appears on the gods and monsters podcast as do dave becker and yours truly you can follow gods and monsters at monsters cast on twitter and you can find dr shock at dvdinfatuation.com dot com and on twitter at DVDInfatuation. and of course you can also hear him on the fantastic land of the creeps podcast and be sure to also check out his excellent youtube channel a link will be available to that in the show notes for this episode And I can be found at RetroMovieGeek.com and on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek. Full disclosure, that's not me. That's Peter that's responding to you. But it's there. It's a thing. So you can find us there. Also ForgottenFlicks.com and Terror on the Tube, where we cover made for TV, horror movies from the 70s 80s and uh, very rarely but occasionally the 90s and we are joined by allison the horror unicorn and it's it's peter and myself and it's uh, it's a lot of fun it comes out once a month or so but it's a great time so uh, definitely check us out there you can also connect with us on twitter and instagram at horror movie cast and if you'd like to support horror movie podcast please subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts you can also listen to us on stitcher and spotify you can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 at patreon.com forward slash Network. And also, do not forget to try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I honestly think about all the stuff you've been going through. And then I'm like, and then you end up back home and then you a pandemic and then an earthquake. Yeah. I'm like, for real. That's crazy, dude. It's crazy. Oh my
1: God. Did, what was the magnitude? Did they even say that? Yet, fi-
0: well, I, I've seen different, varying. Reports. Um, Mm -hmm. there were seven aftershock whatever things. So, I don't know if some of those were the lower ratings. But I saw five point nine was the highest one I saw reported, and then I saw as low as three point something. So it's not like this wasn't like the big one.
1: And uh, you think your internet's moving slow, (laughs) Josh? You should try to be doing it with two sons who are gaming online (laughs) at the same (laughs) time.
2: I I, I would say that maybe this is why our live episodes are. record yeah well no when we, when we have our live
1: episodes my sons are going to be sitting on a couch where I can see them <laughs> re- 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 reading books made out of paper yeah. right exactly or doing whatever twiddling their thumbs I don't give a damn they're just not going to be on their systems <laughs> We, by the way, we are in agreement.
2: We're never, we're never doing the Twilight as a franchise review, right? Like we are now that I'm here. We're not ever doing that, correct?
0: We had talked about. I know you did. <laughs> a vamp, uh, doing an episode called "Monsters Defanged," uh, and talking about how you know mainstream studios like to take sure horror tropes and then put you know make warm bodies. Basically, I
2: don't mind that as a thematic discussion. I just don't want to ever have to do a Twilight franchise review.
0: Oh, we will never do it. Okay, because I could
2: have sworn at one point there was like that as a discussion point. I maybe, I maybe I had a nightmare, like a fever dream, and I imagined. I, <laughs> I,
1: no, I, it, was, I, it was discussed. It it definitely yeah, okay.
2: was discussed
0: of, of yeah. doing a Twilight. Um, we have a lot of our horror. listeners who are hardcore horror fans who love Twilight. Okay, the number one. Oh, yeah. more power yeah. to you.
2: I just it's not my cup of tea.
0: My, not mine either but i do right. think it is such it was such a huge cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. i would be interested in discussing it, but i think maybe it's a bonus episode so that our listeners don't feel like they're cheated out of an episode <laughs> okay that's you know true what I mean? yeah yeah that's right. fair
2: that's fair spam i i i don't like spam but i can at least understand a run on spam that at least kind yes. of makes sense it's canned it'll last a long time that it'll at least lasts a sense. long time yeah. yes
1: I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know. Do you remember that, uh, Joel, from the very last shot?
2: Do, do we want to do we want to give that away? No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. I don't. Yeah, I do
2: remember it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We will continue to spread the good word around and hopefully, uh, you know, get a handful of people to vote for us.
0: We want to win this thing. We, You know, we love all of the other great podcasts that were nominated, but let's be frank. Some of them are these like corporate backed podcasts We're these like scrappy little indie guys. Like that's what that's my feeling on it. Like do we do we want the podcast that's backed by a film distribution company and the most famous magazine in the history of horror? Or do you want the guys who are just doing it out of their garage? (laughs)
2: <laughs> or, or or out of cl- their respective closets <laughs> right
0: right
1: or a makeshift uh, setup in the dining room <laughs>
2: yeah whatever whatever we're nothing right. if we're not professional
1: in the age of the woman i think it's uh, this this is uh very strong female characters because they're this they're the central the beasts you don't get to know them you don't get to know the guys in this movie. It's the women that you're spending all the time with. I got to move this stuff. I'm knocking crap all over the place here and it's making noise. Let me get this out of the way.
2: While you're doing that, Dave, I do want to say.
1: I'm sitting here going, yes. I'm like cheering every time they they show a, a poster and I know they're going to talk about that title. I'm like, oh, yes, next. And I said, oh, talk about the poster next to it. And then, oh, you know, they're talking about that one a couple
0: movies later. I, I. I I don't know, I'm rambling now. Like, you watch this film and you're like, oh, wow, if they brought this to the United States and they did a remake in, like, Chinatown <laughs> with, like, John Cho or someone, you know, and it would be so awesome. And I know John Cho's Korean. I'm just, you know, so I apologize for it. Mm-hmm. I'm well aware that John Cho's Korean. I just, you know, he's a movie star. That's...
2: First off, I think the number one thing we should say is if they brought this movie over here and they Americanized it, my guess is they would immediately not make the vampires hop.
0: Well, that's what I was saying. You could see them doing it in an Americanized way. It would be, you could see it being really exciting. But then the further I got into it and just thinking about the legacy of these Mr. Vampire films, it's kind of sad. Like you kind of wanted to see if they could pull off the hopping vampire here and what that would feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think it's
2: it's something very unique to that culture. And I think to your point, what's cool about it is it's so outside of what we are used to, So while yes, you could on you know first glance say oh that's kind of a you know it's it's kind of silly and I'm I'm, I'm sure it's how they're playing in the movie. I mean I think
0: you probably it's intell yeah it's intentionally silly for sure. Is the one thing
2: that makes this not sound appealing? (laughs) I was like okay,
0: (laughs) I'm into the whole hopping vampire
2: thing. I'm not sure I'm so much into the other part.
0: I mean, listen, if you're gonna do vampire romance, hopping's better than sparkling nine Uh, times out of ten.
2: You got me there.
1: One time a friend and I put together a video for our uh, deck hockey team and we got the we got the online suite and we're sitting there um, and we did about eight minutes of video and we started at seven o'clock at night. And by the time they kicked us out of there, it was three in the morning. By the time we got to eight minutes of video. Yeah. my, mom, my life. My, so
0: go ahead, Dave, go ahead, Josh. I was just saying that's my life. Yeah, can just, you, can oh, you imagine yeah. Robert Rodriguez cut the entire first cut of El Mariachi on... VHS on vcr Oh my, oh my god that would have wow. been a nightmare.
2: Oh my <laughs> god. god. I, I, did, I did like a handful of short films and it was a chore and a half. I remember I remember the longest I ever spent editing the v- on VHS. It was actually SVHS who was in my high school video production. I was still uh, knew my teacher and it was I was in college and a guy and I had shot a this guy I knew shot a short film and on VHS took it in there yeah, the jog shuttles, everything. We spent. It was during a tropical storm. We sat there for nineteen hours straight. Whoa! Nineteen hours. We got it done. <laughs> but oh my god, oh, I couldn't do that now if I wanted to. <laughs> it would kill me. Oh.
0: Well, I'm gonna do it as soon as possible when you send me that file. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point.
2: Good point. <laughs> There's a show that I, I love and because I'm a little weird and one of the things I was hoping to get to see in New York, but I actually found out literally like the week before we were going there, they were officially closing down, but it's a store called Obscura that is in New York and it's, there's a show that they did on the science channel called oddities. I don't know if you guys ever watched it or heard of it, but I love it. Mm. It's, it's one of these shows like 30 minutes long or whatever. And these people, it's sort of like American pickers for like really weird crap. It's awesome. And, okay. they, and so they, they just deal with lots of just really weird and macabre things. And, and in one episode, one of the last episodes of the show before it went off the air was uh, a, a couple of the members from Guar actually came in there uh, and wanted them to help them find something for, uh, for one of their acts, so, which is oh, cool. really cool. So it's kind of neat that you bring them up.
1: Oh, God. Why did I get into this? I start to get in one direction, and I'm just going to abandon it. I'm just going to abandon this. Okay.
2: Okay. Dr. Shock can be found in his daily moot. That's all, folks.